The Panthers get a new number one goaltender at a very expensive price. The Preds got another offensive boost down middle. The Canucks take a big risk on defense. The Stars go big on secondary scoring. The Breadman got paid. The Islanders captain didn't leave this time. Oh, and we even saw an offer sheet. The free agency recap of the Lace em Up podcast breaks down all the early winners and losers of the 2019 offseason and reviews a couple of major trades in the middle of it all that could change the entire landscape of the NHL. So saddle up because the fun starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 179 of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, I'll make it real quick because we have a lot to get to. Question 64. Which Hall of Famer was the first to have his own Hall of Fame? Was it A, Maurice the Rocket Richard? B, Bobby Orr, Bruins legend. C, Wayne, the great one, Gretzky. Or D, Mario, the magnificent Lemieux. Huh, that's a tough one. Um, seems like there's always, like, it's, I guess it's like the the Hall of Fame chapter. I feel like we've had a Hall of Fame questions the last couple of times. Um, that is a tough one. Um, I could honestly see a Hall of Fame for all four of those players. Um... But I'm going to go with Wayne Gretzky because that's the one that makes the most sense. He has the most records. You know, he's the most glorified player. So uh, I'm going to go with Wayne Gretzky has his own museum. Well, it was number four, Bobby Orr. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so that's Your somebody. own Boston Bruin got his own Hall of Fame in July 2003. Um, it was dedicated to Bobby Orr in his hometown of Perry Sound, Ontario. Uh, okay. I was going to say, because like, I feel like I would have known if Bobby Orr had his own Hall of Fame, but I guess I didn't. But uh, I guess it makes sense to have it in his hometown instead of somewhere here in Boston. Yeah, it, I, if, if I said, I'll be disappointed if you don't get this one, it would probably be a dead giveaway. And you yeah, just, yeah, I would have then been like, oh, okay. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that would have been a giveaway. I was thinking, yeah, I'm actually, now I'm surprised that Wayne Gretzky doesn't have his own Hall of Fame. Or, well, it, you know. The, here's, here's the thing. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to bother looking this up. Maybe I will later on, but the question was, who was the first to have his own Hall of Fame? It didn't uh, say that Wayne Gretzky didn't have one. Who was the first to get their own Hall of Fame? I see, I see. Okay, that that is a, yeah, I guess I must if have missed that question. If Wayne Gretzky his own Hall of Fame by now, shame on you. Right, right, right. The greatest Yeah, yeah, so, okay, I see. All right, fine. Um, I should have, I guess I should have listened carefully then. Um, yeah. Anyway, but, speaking of game-changing players, uh, welcome to free agency, yeah, everybody. Good, good transition there, Steve. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we uh, yeah a lot of movement happened since we last talked here, um, and we'll, I guess we should just get right into it because we do have a lot to talk about. 
Um, so I kind of separated this all, um, as Steve knows, we I separated these all into different categories. Some of these, uh, some of these signings are like in a different categories, but um, they all kind of work within the same realm. Um, so I have the big ones, so like the big signings that we should talk about. We talked about last week. I mean, not last week. Um, in you know, two weeks ago, the last episode. Uh, low risk, yeah, high reward. The, 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 the day before Phil Kessel got traded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we have the big ones, um, low risk, high reward uh, signings. Uh, the questionable ones, which we probably, I mean, we would mention it before, but um, it just seems way too out of left field signings there. Um, and then just strictly goalies. Um, and then we'll get into miscellaneous stuff, which will act as our rapid fire. But, um, but yeah, we have, um, but those are going to be the four categories I separated on them. We could, I mean, obviously we could talk about like literally every signing that happened from the last episode to now, but, um, we would be here all night or all day pretty much. So, um, so I just narrowed it, we narrowed it down to a couple of, um, the main ones that are going to make a difference for teams. Um, maybe, um, and we'll, we'll see about that. Maybe. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking like the low risk, high rewards, those are like, those may not necessarily make a difference, but yeah. Or the questionable ones. Yeah. And the questionable, I mean, those ones will make a difference, but just in a negative way. Um, so, um, all right, uh, let's get to, uh, the first one on the big ones category, uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, he gets seven years, 11.6. Um, he's going to the New York Rangers. He also gets a no movement clause all the way. Uh, that's not surprising. Um, I guess what is surprising though, is the fact that he's being, he's like the second richest winger, um, now uh, um, in the NHL, um, uh, Patrick Kane is making the most, I believe. Um, I think he's making more than Kane. I think the oh. only other forward that has a higher AAV is, of course, McDavid. Oh, okay. So I got that wrong. I, then. Think, I think he pops on wingers and only behind McDavid and forwards in general. Oh, he's even more than uh, Matthews? Um, I believe Matthew's cap hit was 11.5, or Timmy Panarin is 11.64. Oh, okay, I'm looking here. Matthew's is 11.63. So yeah, Panarin's 11.64, so I think it's just... So just ahead of Matthew's, but, you know, obviously Matthew's is not a center. I mean, it's not a winger. Um, but, uh, yes... They, 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 add, they added an extra 100k or two just to add the... Yeah, just, just so that it can be like, alright, you're, you're getting paid more than, <laughs> than, uh, Matthews. Um, yeah, the... This is, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting trade here because... Well, first off, there was, like, reports that the Islanders were in on Panarin, um... And, uh, and then, uh, like, Florida was out on him... Um, as well, there was reports on that. So it was either between. I also heard that, I also heard that Colorado was there right to the very end. Yeah, Colorado was another team that was interested, which would have been interesting. It kind of parallels uh, what happened in um, in the NBA free agency, where the you know Kyrie and Kevin Durant 
go to the Brooklyn Nets instead of the um, the New York Knicks. Uh, but you know, obviously, the New York Rangers are much more popular than the Islanders in New York City compared to the Knicks and the and the Nets. But um, it is kind of funny that like the New York teams were competing for the the top free agents in that sense. Um, anyways, back to hockey. Um, you know, this is a pretty good deal. Um, I guess the interesting thing here is, like, the Rangers have been in rebuild mode for the past two years, and now they're, this, this move here is, like, the signification that they're, 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 they might make the playoffs. You know, this is a signification that they're no longer in rebuild mode. They've got all the pieces they want. Which makes sense, you know, they had, um, you know, they got Capo Caco, which I think ex- expedited the rebuild even more. Uh, they have Philip Heedle and Leas Anderson, who they can build around. Um, they have Kraftsoff in the system, K- Andre Miller, um, and they uh, they have a couple of other players that I'm, I'm blanking on as well. Sean Day, that Adam Fox that they got around this year too, so... Um, they have a good core uh, coming up pretty soon, um, and this like Panarin move is kind of like a way to say like, all right, we have this is a guy that we can uh, even build our team around more. I mean, is he worth eleven point six million? I not sure, but uh, he you know then again he's he's like never gotten. Um, lower than 74 points in a season. Um, he's 27 years old, so he's not, like, that old either. Um, so, I mean, they may regret it um, in a couple of years, but um, they have him for his prime, pretty much. So I think, in that sense, it, it could work out for them. Yeah, the interesting thing about his deal is that 74.5 of the 81.5 million that he makes over these seven years is bonus money. So, like, his base yeah. salary is freakishly small. So that that's interesting, a very bonus-heavy contract. Um, what's crazy is that if the reports out of Columbus hold true, he actually turned down more money over a longer term from Columbus and I believe the Islanders are also offering more money. So he actually took less to sign with the Rangers. Oh, and yeah, he still dude. got over $11.5 million per year. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, here's the interesting thing about the Rangers-Cavs situation. I know darn well they're going to have to open the bolt to keep Truba right now. Uh, but consider this. Enric Lundqvist has two more years with a cap hit over $8 million. Mark Stahl, Kevin Shattenkirk, Brendan Smith, have a combined average annual value of 16.7 million during the exact same time frame, the next 24 months. Kreider, Nemesnikov, Bolesky, and Jesper Faust are all UFAs after this coming season. Wow. Philip Lytle, Leas Anderson, and Brett Howden all have two years left on their entry-level deals. Zibanejad, UFA in three years. He's got the second longest term of any forward on this roster. The guy who has the most is the guy that just paid Artemi Pinheiro. So... It's not like the San Jose Sharks where you got four to six guys during the prime of their careers under contract for the next five plus years with a three team no trade tackled onto all of them. The Rangers are in a position where they can adapt their roster to the times of change and most of the guys that assemble the Rangers are in their early to late 20s. 
So financially, this isn't going to strap the blue shirts in any way, shape, or form. All it does is just accelerates the rebuild. And of course, speaking of the rebuild, Capocaco is now a part of that. So right. once they get inside, you know, they get three years of entry level Capocaco. So now we get to the value of Artemi Panarin, and all indications point to his value going up each and every season. At the age of 27, set to turn 28 in October, in his rookie season, when I think he was like 24, we saw him take home the Calder Trophy. He recorded 30 goals and 77 points in 80 games with Chicago, 31 goals and 74 points in 82 games the following year. And over those two years with Chicago on Patrick Kane's line, he had 17 goals and 41 points on the power play. So if you want to dispute his ability to generate offense two years ago when he was on Patrick Kane's line, go right ahead. I think that's a valid argument two summers ago. But since the trade out of Chicago, he has recorded back-to-back career years as the guy with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was one of 19 NHL forwards in 2017-2018 to average at least 20 minutes per game. And in that playoff run where they abruptly lost to Washington, he was just under 26 minutes in that first round series. We get to this past year where he had a career-high 87 points, ranking him in the NHL's top 20 forwards. Um, he was really dictating the pace uh, pace of the game. He had 778 controlled exits, which is insane. 505 controlled entries, which is insane. And in both of those categories, he ranks 11th in the league amongst fours. When you play on a team like the Blue Jackets, who struggled to strike on the power play and sat in the NHL's bottom 10 in each of the last two seasons in that department, you need a possession driver like Artemi Panarin to get things going at even strength. And he got 28 goals this past year, one more than what he got the year before, and he took 37 fewer shots than his career high from the previous season. And he still got six power play goals. He still got eight game winners. He scored four in overtime. And his average ice time per contest decreased by 17 seconds compared to his first year in Columbus. And everyone wasn't watching Patrick Kane do this. They were watching Artemi Panarin. He was the center of attention in Columbus. And that opened the door for Cam Atkinson to score 41 goals and 69 points. It allowed Pierre-Luc Dubois to score 27 goals and 61 points. Josh Anderson had 27 goals and 230 shots to his name. So if you're adding a guy like Artemi Panarin on the New York Rangers, on a line with Mika Zibanejad, on a line with Papo Kako, that could be one of the league's deadliest top lines in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you, you did bring up, but you, you said a lot of things here. So, um, um, yeah, the uh, that is a good point about, like, Panarin's first two years in the league, um, he was on a, you know, you can make the case that he was uh, benefiting from being with Patrick Kane. Um, and then once he gets to Columbus, where he becomes the guy, he has like his two best seasons. And so that just shows that, you know, he, he is a good player. Not only is he a good player, but he can drive play and he can make his teammates better. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see in um, 
in New York with him um, if he if he is as successful, of course. Um, so so that that for that point, I think it is worth the eleven point six million that he's making. Um, it's still a little risky, of course, because whenever you spend that much money on a play, one player, it's always going to be risky in that sense. But um, at the same time, like Panarin has been the most consistent player for the past four years or ever since he's been in the league. So um, I think you know it's, it's a good it's a good signing for them. Um, and it's just it's just interesting because like the Rangers may not be. Um, I wouldn't say that they're cup contenders, but I feel like they'll definitely make the playoffs um, this year um, just from this move. Yeah, they're, they're definitely in a better position uh, than where they were 12 months ago. By the way, in case you're wondering, Artemi Panarin will wear number 10 with the New York Rangers. Yeah. Also, the funny thing about that, you, you just reminded me. So uh, on the day that Panarin visited... Uh, the Rangers, they had um, his, um, you know, his, the facility. They uh, they showed, they had him in like a photoshopped him on a on a Rangers uniform and put it on the jumbotron. The thing is, is that they had him um, at like that he shot right and instead that he sh- like they put him on like a Ranger person who shoots right instead he mm-hmm. shoots left. So it's just like they didn't even get that correct, um, but um, I guess they'll they'll find out that he he does shoot right. I forget which one he actually what 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 um what side he actually shoots, but it, they they mixed it up, um, which was the funny part. Um, In other breaking news, Artemi Panarin is suddenly ambidextrous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can shoot both sides. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's that's that's. That's that's pretty funny. Um, Duchesne uh, is going to Nashville seven million, uh, seven years, eight million. Um, keep in mind, Kevin Hayes got seven million um, and in seven years, so one more, <laughs> one more million than uh, than Kevin Hayes. So in that sense, it's kind of um, it's not it's not bad for Matt Duchesne here in Nashville. Uh, this is, uh, you know, like, it feels like Nashville has been wanting to center for a very long time now. Um, they almost had it with Kyle Turris, but it seems like Kyle Turris isn't, um, is kind of diminishing for some reason. Um, and um, so this is like, you know, he might even be better than Ryan Johansson. Um, but um, this has been like the thing for uh, Nashville where, and it was kind of like the worst kept secret in in hockey is that he was going to Nashville it felt that way even like at the start of the season where like we kept on hearing reports that like he loves country music and he's like um he's very into the culture of Nashville so he can fit in right in in terms of the culture stuff like that um the interesting thing here is it's like you know they also got Granlin in the trade deadline um so I'd imagine um, he'll either have Granlin or Forsberg on his left side, which isn't bad, obviously. I don't know who they're going to have uh, the, the, as the right winger um, um, who is not Arvidsson. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I like this deal as well. Matt Duchesne was by far the best center uh, on the market. 
Um, so it made, and he, you know, he's better than Kevin Hayes, obviously as well. But um, this is a uh, this is a good deal for for Matt Duchesne. I mean, obviously you you spend out, you 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 lose PK Subban, but um, but you guys, the Nashville has enough defensemen that they can overcome that loss of PK Subban. But then they put all all that money into um, Matt Duchesne, and I think um, it'll turn out to be worth it um, in the end. Yeah, and his cap hit is also below P.K. Subban's. Yeah, that too. Which also says something. And he doesn't have a no trade or no move in the first four years of his deal. Right. And when it does kick in from years five to year seven, it's only a seven-team no trade. Yeah. So, so when you when you look at today's market, like that's pretty cheap for David Poyle. Yeah. Although, yeah, yeah, I was I was just thinking like I wouldn't think you would be traded even still, but um, yeah, it it is a, a nice thing to have there. He has a seventeen no trade list on um, his last three years. Mm-hmm. And at twenty eight years of age, he's coming off a career high. Um, he had 70 points in 73 games split with Ottawa and Columbus. Uh, 31 goals, career best. 39 assists were his third most in a single season. With Ottawa, he had 27 goals and 31 assists. And if you know how the Ottawa Senators did, they did terribly. And the only bright side was their top line of Duchesne, Stone, and Dezingle, which was relatively decent when they were together. Right. What's even more impressive is that he got his first 27 goals on his first 126 shots, which puts his shooting percentage from October to February with Ottawa over 20%. So the fact that he's efficient in scoring goals is also a bonus. Fast forward to the playoffs, five goals, 10 points, 10 games with Columbus, along with a pair of game winners and three power play goals. There's only one other player in the 2009 NHL draft class with more points than Matt Duchesne, and his name is John Tavares, and he's making $11 million per year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Matt Duchesne is an all-star talent making $8 million per year on a Nashville team with a lot of depth at offense. And I think Matt Duchesne is probably going to be used as a catalyst for some of the guys that didn't really light it up for Nashville in the second half, and they should have. Specifically, I'm talking about Kyle Turris, who, ironically, Matt Duchesne was traded for, and now they're somehow chased. The other guy is Mikhail Granlund, who didn't have an easy transition into Nashville after he got traded from Minnesota. Daily Faceoff has Turris on the second line as a right winger. And Kyle Turris... Since he signed that seven-year extension with Nashville, he struggled to find a consistent groove offensively. So maybe putting him on Duchesne's line, maybe putting a guy like Mikhail Granlin, who scored 60 points in a season before, maybe putting him on the other wing on Matt Duchesne's line is going to benefit both Granlin and Tourist, and of course Matt Duchesne, who is probably going to reap the rewards either way. So you're getting a power play threat in Matt Duchesne, which the Preds need because the Preds are terrible on the power play, even with all that talent. They get more depth down the middle. And a lot of people may forget this about Matt Duchesne. In his worst offensive season of his career, where he didn't even get 50 points with the Colorado Avalanche, 
His face-off win percentage was 62.6%, tied for the 10th highest mark all-time in NHL history. Again, that was during the worst offensive season of his career. He's posted a success rate in the face-off dot of 55% or better in five of his 10 NHL campaigns, including this year on a god-awful Ottawa Senators team. But what's interesting to note, in that year where the Avs barely won any games at all, Nathan McKinnon took over 1,500 face-offs that year, 13th most in the NHL. Brian Johansson is currently the number one center on the Nashville Predators. I think the other thing that this signing of Matt Duchesne, what it does, is that it takes some of the pressure off of Brian Johansson, who can consistently himself post 60 to 70 points a year. The thing is, since he left Columbus, he hasn't even scored 20 goals in a season. Matt Duchesne can do that. He scored 30 twice in his career. So I really like the signing. If I'm David Boyle, I'm a gen- I'm looking like a genius right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this signing too. Uh, it's, this is one of those things, though, that I feel like in a couple of years they may end up regretting it. Uh, but um, at the moment, I, I do like it because it, it's more just that, like, um, we'd... I'm not sure if he'll, um, you know, how sustainable he is. Uh, his season this year was his by far his best year. Um, I mean, get, granted, he was on Ottawa, but, um, you know, and he had, like, a point per game in Ottawa. So, that like, that speaks to how good he is, is that he was able to be good on a bad team. But, um, but it, you know, at the same time, he may be more... Um, you know, I feel like players on a contract year uh, tend to do a lot better because they just want to showcase what they can do um, for the next year. So I don't know. Um, so that's the only issue I could see happening. But yeah, at the same at the moment, it does seem like a pretty good deal for him. Um, well, he started to find his groove uh, the season before last uh, with Ottawa, and he wasn't in a contract year then. So yeah, that's true. I mean, oh no! I mean, like I hope that he'll he'll do well. I I do like I do like Matt Duchesne, but um, I I just don't know if he'll nece- if it's necessarily like sustainable. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I think he's more I think he's more cursed than anything. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Maybe that that that's more my hesitation. Um, all right, let's go to Anders Lee. I mean, this isn't as big as the other ones we're going to talk about, but uh, this is more noteworthy just because of the fact that um, the uh, Islanders didn't get uh, Panarin, they didn't get Bobrovsky, um, and then they um, they spent the money back to get their captain back. Um, they get Anders Lee for seven years, seven million. Um, he has a no-trade clause all throughout and then a modified no-trade clause um, the last two years. Um, <clears throat> I guess it's a 15-team no-trade clause uh, trade list, which I guess is stand- pretty standard um, for that. So, um, yeah, th- this, is a, um, this is a good deal, but like, like we mentioned before in the last episode, um, you know, this, the problem is, is his age, and he wasn't really the same. Like, he's 29 years old, so this is going to be... Um, this is, might not look great towards the end of his um, 
you know, of this contract, but um, at the same time, they couldn't, like, the Islanders couldn't afford to lose another captain um, in multiple off-seasons um, at the same time, and, um, you know, he wasn't really this, speaking of that, he wasn't really the same since John Tavares left, um, left as well, so um, he could be, you know, he didn't have 40 goals, he had a, his worst goal total this year, um, so he could still be decent, but, um, but yeah, seven million does seem a little bit too much for him. But at the same time, the Islanders kind of need him. So, um, yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, over the past three seasons, Anders Lee is one of fifteen NHL players to score at least a hundred goals. He sits with one hundred and two goals in thirteenth place. And out of those fifteen skaters, his six hundred and three shots on goal are dead last. Is 16 minutes, 39 seconds average time on ice per game, also dead last. And I would also keep in mind that out of those 15 NHL players, the only ones with a better shooting percentage than Anders Lee over the past three seasons are Leon Dreisel, the Edmonton Oilers, who plays on the same team as Connor McDavid, and Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins, who also plays with David Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron. And all of them are over 17%. So you're thinking, oh, wait, didn't Anders Lee play with John Tavares? And that's a good point. He had a 40-goal season with Tavares in Tavares' final year on the island. But in to, in his first year without Tavares, he still got 28 goals, 10 on the power play, and 51 points, which is only a drop of 12 goals, uh, 12 goals and 10 points from the year before. And his plus-minus improved from a minus 25 to a plus 20 in just 12 months. What's also interesting is that he has at least 100 hits in five straight years, and he has averaged between 180 and 210 shots on goal per season for five straight years. What's also interesting, at even strength, he spent time with guys like Josh Bailey, Brock Nelson, and Jordan Eberle. Didn't see him on the ice with Matt Barzell at 5-on-5 five five as often as you would see them teaming up on the power play. So you can question whether or not a guy like Anders Lee without the help of John Tavares and Matt Barzell is worth $7 million per year. In my opinion, I think he's a very underrated offensive talent that just turned 29 last week and still has a lot to prove. You look at Ryan Pulak and Johnny Boychuk ranking in the league's top 10 for slap shots this past year. You need a guy that can cause traffic and create deflections and rebounds in front of the net. Anders Lee does that. I don't think his best offensive years are behind him. I think you will see a better version in October of an offensive Anders Lee. Uh, like you look again, you look at Matt Barzell's stats. They took a bit of a dip from the previous year when um, he was killing it. Uh, Andrew Ladd was benefiting. John Tavares was a point per game guy. The Islanders played a better team game. It got them results, and offensive results had to be sacrificed. And Anders Lee, I think, sacrificed a lot. The one thing the Islanders couldn't afford to sacrifice for a second straight offseason was the team captain. This would be the second straight offseason if they didn't keep Anders Lee. This would be the second straight offseason where they lost a captain. I think that would have done a lot of damage to their fan base, and I'm very glad they were able to work something out with their captain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of said the same thing. They couldn't afford to lose him. 
um, after what happened last offseason with John Tavares. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's a interesting move in that in that regard. But um, I think we I think we can both agree that he's worth seven million more than Kevin Hayes is. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Of course. I. <laughs> I, it's it's more like when I see like when I look at his stats here though it's like I see that he had forty goals in twenty seventeen twenty eighteen and then I look here and I see that he had twenty eight goals in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen so like already that's like oh god he like he he had like about twenty less goals um, in, in that time but. Um, so like it just showed that maybe it's a little bit unsustainable, but um, yeah, the it's it's not to say that he's like um, he he can't get better, um, but at the same time he's like twenty nine years old. It's it's not like player like they are what they are kind of thing. So we'll see. I, th- I think I think also the fact that he's never been the star of the show with the Islanders has kind of played into why he's overlooked so often like when people think of the Islanders they thought of John Tavares when he was there when people think of the Islanders now they think of Matt Barzell they don't yeah. think of Andrews Lee as the face of their offense I mean I think of Matt Barzell as the face of the franchise even mm-hmm. still I mean I know I know Anders Lee is the point is the captain but I don't necessarily think of him as uh, the guy I mean, I, I, and I would argue he's not the guy there, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but I guess at the same time, it's like, he is the captain there, um, he's been on the team forever, so, um, I guess it makes sense in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Joe Pavelski, um, he goes to the Dallas Stars, um, he, it's, uh, three years, uh, seven million annual average value, um, the first two years are no movement clauses, um, and then his last year is a modified no trade clause where he uh, he must submit a three team trade list. So basically, it's like a no movement clause. Um, but um, you're seen that before. Oh right, Doug Wilson. Right, right, right. Um, the um, <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, yeah, the. I mean, obviously, speaking of age, you know, uh, Joe Pavelski is 34 years old. He's about to be 35 in a couple of, um, actually, his birthday's tomorrow. I'm looking at his stats right here. Yeah, by the time by the time this podcast is out, he'll be 35. So yeah. at the time he signed this contract, it's not a 35-plus contract. He's still 34. He's Yeah, he's, but he's 35 when you're listening to this right now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that's, um, that's pretty cool. I never had that happen to me where I'm like, oh wait, that's tomorrow. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, this one, I mean, this is another one where his, I mean, oh, I guess he had 38 goals this year, uh, 64 points. So not a bad season for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this one is a interesting move in the, in the fact that like the stars have always wanted um or for the past couple of years um they needed depth it's it's always been sagan uh radulov and ben um and you know they even made the playoffs this year even when uh ben and sagan were struggling all the entire year um so like putting joe pavelski on this line is or on this team is um 
it's a it's a game changer for them. Um, because like I know he's he's 35 years old when he plays, but um, he'll he is still like uh he still will get you around 30 goals or so um, every year, and that's not bad for a second line right winger. Um, he can't play center. I mean, I guess he can play center too. So maybe they move him to the second line center role, but. Um, as well, but uh, we'll we'll see about that. But he, um, yeah, he. This is this is a good move for them, just based off the fact that they needed depth. Yeah, they needed depth, and they also needed leadership. By the way, happy birthday or belated birthday, Joe Pavelski. If yep. you happen to listen to this, I doubt it, but if you do, thank it's you for possible. listening. Yeah. Uh, in case you're also wondering, is he going to still wear number eight? No, uh, Pavelski's going to be wearing number 16 with the Stars because the Stars have uh, honored slash retired number eight in honor of Bill Goldsworthy. They did that back in 1992 when they were still called the Minnesota North Stars. So that's why Joe Pavelski changed numbers. Um, if there's one good thing about Joe Pavelski, he's consistent. If he doesn't get you 70-plus points a season, which he hasn't done for three straight years... He'll get you 60-plus points, which he has done in each of the last three campaigns. He's a number two center or a solid get-it-right wing on either the first or second line. Over 350 NHL goals, over 750 points, almost 1,000 games played on his resume. Three-time NHL All-Star, made the Stanley Cup playoffs in 12 of the 13 years he has played in way more than Dallas. And that's what they need. They need a guy that knows how to win in the playoffs. I believe Pavelski has been to four Western Conference Finals. He's been to the Stanley Cup Finals once with the Sharks in 2016. That year, he led all NHLers in playoff scoring with 14 goals and 23 points. Um, Among active players, he's tied for sixth in postseason goals and has over 100 playoff points. And in the regular season, only Stamkos, Ovechkin, Tavares, and Kane have scored more goals than Pavelski this decade. And the Stars need leadership, and they need secondary scoring. Because you can say, whether or not Bennett Sagan or Horse Maneuver, the fact is, those two combined with Alex Radulov combined for 42.6% of the total goals scored by the Dallas Stars last year. And the only other forward on the Dallas Stars to even hit double digits and goals is Radek Faxa. He had 15. The good news is Rupe Heinz could be something, but he hasn't reached his full stride just yet. And if you doubt Pavelski will do much of anything to improve their secondary scoring, consider that he led the Sharks with 38 goals and sat in the league's top 20 this past season. That was tied for its second highest regular season total of his NHL career and only two shy of matching his career-high 40 goals back in 2013-2014. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting about Joe Pavelski's most recent season. In every year, in every single year he has played, except the lockout year in 2013, He posted at least 200 shots, sometimes upwards of 230 shots. You know how many shots on goal he got this year, Brett? Um, I was looking at his stats before, but now how many shots did he have this year? 
188. Oh, wow. And he still got 38 goals. <laughs> yeah. he, he was two goals shy of matching his career high. He didn't even get 200 shots on goal. Although, doesn't that and, show, isn't that, like, that's a pretty high uh, shooting percentage. So Yeah, it is pretty high. But considering Joe Pavelski is so used to automatically getting 200 shots on goal every year, right. didn't even get 200 shots on goal, almost got 40 goals still. And part of the reason why he's so good at that is his net front presence. He was tied with Jamie Benn for the NHL lead in deflected shots last year with 15. He had 36 shots that were tipped, fourth best in the NHL. You got a guy like Tyler Sagan ripping wrist shots like there's no tomorrow. You got guys like Jamie Benn, guys like Joe Pavelski in front of the net. That's how you get offense is by going to the dirty areas, going to where you know the puck is going to be at the net. And that's part of the reason why Pavelski has been so consistent is he can find a way to get to those areas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think his two-way game is is very strong and one of the reasons why he commands that seven million thing. I mean, we we talked about this uh, last week's episode or last week's episode, the last episode, um, where like Pavelski is, you know, he's thirty-five years old um, or going to be thirty-five years old. Um, so that's that's where it gets a little concerning. Is like, will his uh, skill level deteriorate? Will he have to? Um, will he be as effective um, even on a new team? So that's that's where the bigger concern is. But at the same time, it's like it's only for three years. Um, yeah. Seven million is a large cap hit, of course, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, you only have him for two more years kind of thing. So um, it may not be that bad um, in the long run. Um, I feel like I feel like uh, the longer we go on this podcast, the worse that Kevin Hayes contract. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, the only one, well, once we start getting to the questionable ones, then we'll be like, all right, this is, this is a little crazy. But um, yeah, you're right. Uh, I it's funny too because I love Kevin Hayes, but yeah. uh, seven million's a lot for him. Um, all right, let's go to uh, Gustav Nyquist. The main reason why I even brought this one up is because. They already lost Panarin. They lost uh, Duchesne. Uh, we're going to talk about Bobrovsky in a minute, but um, uh, Columbus didn't really, you know, so they lose their, th- like, three of their key players. Um, of course, Duchesne was only there for, like, half the year, but um, but uh, they needed to get someone, at least. I mean, they're, they're still not in uh, great shape, but... Um, Gustav Nyquist does kind of ease the pain a bit um, in this regard. Uh, he has four years, 5.5 million. Um, that's pretty good. He has no trade clauses or no movement clauses, so if it doesn't work out, they can, uh, you know, they can even ship him to Seattle or expose him to Seattle if they want to. Um, the um, that's going to be my new thing. I'm going to mention Seattle like every episode now. <laughs> Um, but, uh, the, uh, so yeah, this one, I, I, I like this move actually for Columbus. I feel like he could be, um, you know, it, it seemed like it, it came under the radar. Um, I, I even forgot that he was a free agent. Um, but yeah, he had, uh, he had 60 points in 81 games this year. Um, he is 21 years old, but, 
or uh, uh, 29 years old, but that's that's not too bad in the grand scheme of things. And um, he'll fit, you know, he he'll be a good uh, right winger or winger for them, um, and um, and help out when like the loss of Panarin, Duchesne, and Bobrovsky. I will say that like you know. The Columbus is like they they are still good at defense. They still have Atkinson and Dubois, um, and Josh Anderson isn't anything to sneeze at either. But um, you know when you add a guy like Gustav Nyquist, um, they're 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 not in bad shape. It's not. I don't feel like they're going to be a lottery team with this signing. Yeah, this is one of those signs where we lost three big name players, but we got this guy. Right, yeah, right. That's something. Right. right? We, we didn't give him a no move clause. He's not even six million per year. Now, this is a bargain. This is a bargain price. We're just yeah. saving our money for next off season when like Backstrom's a free agent and maybe Hoffman or Dad and all we could get one of those guys. But right, right. Yeah, uh, I, I feel bad for Gustav Nyquist because he's just going into a very volatile situation where the fans are just like. We lost Panera, we lost Duchesne, we lost Bobrovsky. Who cares about Gustav Nyquist? Right, right. Yeah, they're they're probably not even they're probably not even overjoyed that Gustav Nyquist is here. They're pro it's they're probably just still decompressing from all the players they yeah. lost. And they're I don't even I but I believe Dezingle's not even coming back. So no, they're, yeah. they're not even getting him. Um, well, number 14 I mean, is interesting enough is being occupied by Dean Kukin, so we'll see if he gives that up to Nyquist. That'll be interesting to see what number he wears. Um, what What is going to be interesting is if Gustav Nyquist can score 14 goals and 24 points on the power play like he did back in 2014-15, because God knows the Blue Jackets have lost a lot of power play muscle in the past 7 to 10 days, and even with all that power play muscle, they weren't very good on the power play. The unfortunate reality is that Nyquist has scored 14 goals with the extra man over his last four seasons combined. So now begs the question what we should expect from Gustav Nyquist over the next four seasons in Columbus. The good news is, is that he surpassed 200 shots on goal in back-to-back seasons. Prior to that, never hit 200 shots in a single NHL season. And he scored 28 and 27 goals in his first two established NHL seasons. So in the years where he got 200-plus shots on goal, he didn't even have 25 goals scored in in either of those two years. And he's averaged over 17 minutes per game for three consecutive seasons, which prior to those three seasons, he had never done before. So I think the results are going to come. I think 60 points... This past season, a career high is one indication of that. But offensively, how he's going to fit in Columbus is going to be interesting because the thing with the Blue Jackets is, like I said when I was talking about Panarin, Panarin really drove the boat offensively. He dictated the pace of the game. In his early years, Gustav Nyquist spent a fair bit of time with Henrik Zedberg in Detroit. When Dylan Larkin started to get his feet wet, Nyquist was paired with him a little bit more. Zetterberg calls it quits before the start of last year. Gustav Nyquist gets even more time with Dylan Larkin. So while Gustav Nyquist is a guy that can play both wings and down the middle, what's his role going to be? And we know that it probably revolves around the top line and the power play in some capacity. But the question is, is he going to be relied on to stir the drink and create offense? Is he going to be a guy that finishes scoring chances? 
because if you look at Cam Atkinson, he really racked up the shots on goal last year. So it seems that's his job for now. Uh, for that reason. I think Knight can't be the guy that leads the team offensively. If it's not Cam Atkinson, it has to be Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's... That, that makes sense. I think he's more of the... Um, the like the supporting cast type of player than the actual B guy there. But um, it... It, I, I, I do like this deal just for the fact that um, like he, he's kind of under underrated and I feel like it will help them po- in a post Bobrovsky Panarin world um, that they have in store. Actually, this might be a hot take, but I, I don't feel like the Blue Jackets are going to be a lottery team this year. Um, they're, they may not make the playoffs because the division's pretty tough, but... Um, I still feel like they're they have enough good pieces out there that they can they can maybe make a run too. So um, it's the only concern you would have is is their goaltending, which it, you never really know. So yeah. Um, yeah, and because they, and because they didn't keep Matt Duchesne, the Sens don't get a first round pick. So thanks Columbus for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, that that's the big reason why you're you're down on them. <laughs> um, I, I I have heard good things about. I want oh, more. I want more in their future. The Sens deserve it. Yep, I have heard good things about Elvis Merzilkins, who's supposedly the like mm. the goalie of the future there, but. Um, and I guess, I guess that's who they're gonna get have a net because they didn't really go out and get a goalie. Maybe they're gonna get uh, a hope that Corpusalo can uh, figure things out t- too quickly. But um, yeah, so that's that's where that's the only big question mark for the Blue Jackets now is um, is their goaltending. But that's uh, that will be yeah, another that's, discussion that's... <laughs> for another time. Yeah, that's that's. I feel bad for Elvis, the poor guy. He goes from Europe to not playing an NHL season to in his debut season being told, yeah, we just lost a Vezina caliber goalie and you're our guy. Have fun. Yep. Speaking of that Vezina caliber goalie, uh, this is the Great next player we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, it was unintentionally, but unintentionally the, a good transition here. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky is going to the Panthers. I mean, I guess this was even more of the worst kept secret in, in hockey. This was like rumored in January even. Um, and, you know, Florida made a couple of cap move dumps, um, a, a couple of um, during the trade deadline. So you're like, okay, so they're saving room to get Bobrovsky um, and maybe Panarin as well. But um, it turns out that they only got one of those two, which, is, which isn't bad. But uh, the big one that... And I almost had this. I, I and Steve knows that I put this. Um, I put this in the goalies category, and I almost put this in the questionable one, uh, purely because they. Um, this is a seven-year contract. Uh, Ten million. Um, currently, uh, Bobrovsky is thirty years old. Um, he has a no movement clause the first five years in in this contract. And then a modified no trade clause. Um, oh no, he has a no movement clause all all year round. But then he has a no tr- modified no trade clause um, where he can uh, list uh, his sixteen teams no trade list. Um, 
and um, this is a I, I, this is just a crazy amount. Like I think we all knew that Bobrovsky was going to the Florida Panthers. Um, it's it's just a it's just very strange considering the fact that a they they have you know they they let Robert I mean they didn't let but Roberto Luongo retires and you know he was on a long term contract and. You know, you would, and that that was a bad contract mostly because you don't really give goalies that much money um, on the later end of their careers. And then they go out and they get Sergei Bobrovsky, um, who's who's basically uh, on the same like the later end of his career, um, and uh, you know he's he's going to be. 30, um, or he is 30, um, and all that stuff. So it's, it's, this one's a little bit more, it's questionable. It, it, it's a mixture of all the different categories we have here. Cause it's definitely a big one. Um, it's definitely questionable and it's definitely, um, a goalie. So, um, yeah, this, I mean, I guess he's worth it. He is a Vezina. He has won the Vezina before. I mean, he did say that he uh, he signed with Florida because he wants to win a cup, but mm-hmm. um, which I mean they do have a lot of good pieces up front, of course, with Barkov, Huberdo, Atrocek, Hoffman, and Dadanov especially. But um, the I don't know if they're necessarily a cup team, um, so he may have just said that he wants to win a cup, but. I, I think it's pretty clear that this is the team that gave him the most money, um, and he's uh, t- ten million for Bobrovsky is is unbelievable to me. Hot take alert: ten million for any goalie is too much. Yeah, yeah I guess. I guess. Just look, look at Montreal. Look how not better they are. Yeah. And part of the reason is because Price is making ten million per year. It's not yeah. that he's not worth ten million per year. It just does a number to the cap. Yep. Paying a goalie that much money, and Roberto Longo. The thing with him is that it was the term, the way it was structured, because. Roberto Luongo, when he signed that contract, there wasn't the 2013 lockout. You could still sign guys to, like, 10-plus years if you wanted to. Right. But now you got a uh, seven- or eight-year contract limit. So, of course, the term isn't as bad. But Luongo wasn't making $10 million per year um, when he signed his contract uh, back in his days with Vancouver. When we take a look at Bobrovsky's stats, Bobrovsky, by the way, still wearing number 72. Frank Retrano's giving that to him, and in exchange, Bobrovsky's probably going to give him like some McDonald's vouchers. Maybe I would just upgrade to a steak dinner. Like yeah, I was about to say, like he's making, he knows what, how much Bobrovsky's making. You know. Yeah, it, it's, it's probably joking around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, in his final year at Columbus, Bobrovsky went. 37 24 and 1 in 61 regular season starts with a 2.58 goals against and a 913 save percentage among goalies with at least 30 games played during the regular season he ranks 17th in goals against and sat in a tie in save percentage just outside the top 20 with the likes of connor hellebuck mark andre Fleury, and devin dubnik but i think when you look at his stat line probably the most concerning part was the ebbs and flows of it all because he had a rough October and January, rock solid in November, February, and March. 
And even still, he led all NHL goalies with nine shutouts. And he was top 10 in minutes played and total shots against. The third straight year, he has done both. So maybe if he's managed better, if Sammy Montembeau uh, gets like 25 to 30 starts and he plays well, he gives you quality goaltending, which I don't think Bobrovsky got enough of in Columbus with Corpusala behind him. Right. Like, look at look at Tukarask. Yep. How good he was in the playoffs. Why? Because Halak played more games in the regular season and they relied on him too much in the past. And Tuka was dominant in the playoffs. And look at Bobrovsky in the playoffs. Oh, look at look at his look at his stats in the playoffs he helped sweep the tampa bay lightning in round one in four straight he went up against another top five team in the boston bruins he had a 925 save percentage so while he had a rough regular season to his standards he proved everyone that he's got more than enough in the tank for a 30-year-old goaltender, and he can still play at that level. He is a Vezina Trophy winner. He is the Russian version of Carey Price. He can win 30-plus games per year just like that. What's also interesting about the Florida Panthers is there's no question they have the offense to help Sergei Bobrovsky out. There's no question they have the coaching in Joel Quenville to bring it all together. There's no question that they have the pieces to build a good hockey team. They had a top 10 offense this past year, a top 10 penalty kill this past year, one of the best power plays in the entire league. But at five on five, they couldn't keep a beach ball out of their own net to save their life. Their five on five save percentage was tied for 29th out of 31 teams. Sergei Bobrovsky changes that. And the fact of the matter is the Florida Panthers play in the Atlantic division that has goalies like Carey Price in it, that has goalies like Andre Vasilevsky in it that has guys like Frederick Anderson in it. Are you uh, Tuka Rask? No? Tuka Rask, thank you. I was, I don't know why I forgot him. I, <laughs> I was just like, I, I know you love Tuka Rask, but I thought I was I was talking to Mike Felger for a second. That's four <laughs> arguably top ten boys in the league in one division. Yep. You look at Barkov, nearing the prime of his career right now. You look at Huberto nearing the prime of his career right now. You have Mike Hoffman. You have Vincent Trocek. You have Evgeny Dadanov. You have all this talent in their prime. They can't wait five years for Spencer Knight to be ready to contend. Yep. The window for them to contend is right now. And they'd be kicking themselves if they didn't land Bobrovsky. Yep. Even if it's $10 million. I think it's a risk we're taking. It's definitely a risk. It's a big risk. But if I'm the Florida Panthers, I'm taking it anyway. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a big risk. And, it I mean, obviously it does help their chances of winning the Stanley Cup and all that stuff. Um, a couple of things of note that uh, I didn't want to just interrupt you. Um, one thing, um, this year, uh, 
uh, Bobrovsky had his like worst uh, goalie season um, in Columbus. Um, I mean, maybe it had something to do with his mind space wasn't there yet. He was just focused on free agency or something. But like, as you mentioned, he was phenomenal in the playoffs. Um, he did sweep the, uh, the best, the historically the best team um, in the modern era right now in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he was impressive against the Bruins. Um, but uh, in, in that regard, but um, but yeah, he had like a 913 save percentage, a GAA of 2.58, um, which is, you know, not bad, but uh, for his standards, it's it's not it's not up to it. So that's that that does cause a little concern just on that regard. But um, maybe a new team um, and all that stuff can can make a change in that regard. But um, he, he does seem to go um with like ebbs and flows in the, in that regard um i think chris when we had chris wassell on he mentioned mm. this how like uh Bobrovsky is like good every other year um yeah. something like that so uh so i guess he was bad this last year so maybe he'll be good this year um but i i think i'm more like i mean obviously as we mentioned before like a large contract for any goalie is uh is too much or is not great but uh i think the the part that gets me a little worried is just the fact that he's 30 years old especially like i could understand like maybe giving a lot of money to like someone like matt murray john gibson um even carter hart maybe but like to give to give uh like a this absurd contract to uh, Sergei Bobrovsky when he's like he's gonna be in decline um, typically um, that that's where it gets a little concerning it's like seven years 10 million that's gonna be um, very bad um, in a couple years and um, you know and they may not even win a cup um, so that's that's where it's like I don't know if it's necessarily worth it um, We'll see. Yeah, well, the, the debate can be said whether or not the Leafs are going to win the cup, and True. that can stop them from paying three forwards $11 million per. For, for sure. That because that's probably what Marner's going to get if and for, when he signs. For sure. And you know what? A lot, a lot of people, like, even if you – like, look at Tampa. Even you could assemble the best offense known to man, and you still don't win a damn thing. Right. So it, it's there, – there's always the risk that it won't work out. But to say it's not worth going after Bobrovsky when when it comes to track record of the goalies that are available, he is by a country mile the most qualified for this team. Yeah. And if you could get a guy like Robin Leonard at half the money, but you don't know if he's going to be as good as Bobrovsky. Yeah. And once Bobrovsky is off the market, Bobrovsky is not signing a two-year deal. He's signing a seven. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I realize we're we're, in a, we're an hour in, so we haven't we do have to get going. But I do want to mention quickly because you did mention Spencer Knight. Um, I don't understand now. This like picking Spencer Knight at number twelve does not make any sense at all because um, it's like Bobrovsky's gonna be there for seven years. Um, so like, why did you draft Spencer Knight so high um, if you didn't like? 
if you're getting Bobrovsky at this rate. I mean, obviously, I guess they maybe it was just an insurance policy because they didn't know if they were going to get Bobrovsky um, at that time. But at the same time, it's like, um, like Spencer Knight is his like future is kind of screwed because he'll he'll have Bobrovsky for at least like I mean he may be ready in two to three years anyways, but like you know. Then he has like Bobrovsky in his mitts for five of them, um, if he ever comes up on board. So that's that's where it's like, why did they draft Spencer Knight? And that, I guess that's a uh, a debate for another time or discussion. But I just wanted to throw it out there that the Spencer Knight dra- like pick does not make any sense now, in hindsight, even though the draft was like a month ago. Yeah, it doesn't make as much sense now. You're right about that. Yeah. But this way, you give him enough time to develop. When he's ready to be in the NHL, come into the NHL, learn from Bobrovsky for a few years. When Bobrovsky's contract's up, you let him walk. Give the reins to Spencer Knight, watch him go. I guess that's true. It's just more like Spencer Knight is gonna have to wait seven years which i guess makes sense for like a goalie a goalie of the future like they take time but um it's still it is kind of insane to think about like oh you know you sign this goalie up you draft a goalie in the first round at the 12 spot at that and then you get Bobrovsky, um and then you sign him for seven years so it's like i it's kind of like overkill almost but whatever I'd uh, rather wait seven years to develop a goalie the right way than to rush in a goalie in two years because I have no other choice. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, let's do, all right, let's go on here. Uh, low risk, high reward category. Um, uh, Corey Perry, uh, one year, $1.5 million, uh to Dallas. Um, I I low key wanted the Bruins to go get him, and now that I see the price that he got, um, this would have been a very good deal for the Bruins. But um, I like this for Dallas, as we mentioned with Pavelski. It's like uh, Dallas needs um, you know uh, secondary scoring. Perry, of course, is not who he used to be, but um, it's not to say that he's like some. He's not like David Backus or something like that. He can he's still serviceable, um, and and can play a role well. Um, I I I think I, I like this move for Dallas mostly just because um, Corey Perry could low key like get maybe thirty goals this year. Um, I could see it. Yeah, and again, veteran secondary scoring, been in the playoffs before won a Stanley Cup before, knows what it takes to win, been to multiple conference finals. Yep. One year at $1.5 million with the potential $1.75 million in performance bonuses if everything goes their way. Yeah. The issue with Perry's tenure in Anaheim wasn't because Corey Perry was a bad player. It's because he was injury prone, the results weren't there, and above all, his contract sucked. Right. So... I don't think we're going to see him return to the player who can pop off and score 70-plus points. But 40 to 50 points, 20 to 25 goals, if he manages to stay healthy, I'll take that. The guy drives to the net. The guy stirs the pot. You hate to play against him. Of course, the concern with Perry is that he's 34. He's been plagued by knee issues, which obviously don't help him if you drive to the net. You know, you need your knees to get to the net. 
you know, they're, they're a vital yeah, part yeah, yeah. of playing the game of hockey. But yeah. for less than two million with a few sweeteners attached, I'll take that gamble. And it's also it's only for one year, so if it doesn't even yeah. work out, you can. It's like it's not a big deal anyway. So it's like he may not be ever. He he's definitely not the what like he was in like two thousand and fourteen or whatever. But um, what year did he win the heart? I think it was like t- two thousand thirteen, maybe. Um, but uh, he. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it's. Um, you know, it's, it's only one year, so if he, if he's not even that good anymore, he'll be, you know, it's, it's, you have nothing to lose, and that's why I put it in low risk, high reward, so, um, it, it, it could be a good deal for them. Um, yeah. Wayne Simmons is going to the, uh, the Devils, um, at one year, five million, um, this is another one just like Corey. Oh, back up to Corey Perry. Um, it is funny that Pavelski and Corey Perry are going to be on the same team. Oh, right, yeah. Um, they're California rivals. That's right. Yeah, they're yeah. California rivals. And, 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 you know, they were both like mainstays on, on those two teams. So it's like, it's going to be kind of funny when, uh, whenever the Dallas plays any of those California teams. Even if well, they that, play, that, that'll, that'll be that'll be useful for Dallas to contain their emotions yeah. and heat of rivalries. Yeah, because they they got some passionate rivalries in the Central too. Yeah, for sure. Um, like even if they play the Kings, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting too. Because, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Wayne Simmons goes to New Jersey, uh, one year, five million. Uh, five million is of course a lot more than one point five, but uh, you know at the same time, one year, um, it's not that bad. Um, yeah, this could this could also work out for them too. Um, uh, again, Wayne Simmons isn't the same player that he was um, a couple years ago, but um, he could still be pretty serviceable. Uh, New Jersey needed some, you know, this could be another way to get Taylor Hall to stay. But um, if he doesn't, then you know, it's just a an added piece for them, a, a depth piece for them. Um, actually, now that I see this. Wayne Simmons, I remember there was like, uh, they had like um, a winter classic mic'd up thing and they uh, mic'd up PK Subban. This was. Uh, oh, yeah. And he said, You don't want yeah. to fight Wayne Simmons. He was, he was telling, I think uh, some one of his teammates was saying like that he wanted to fight Wayne Simmons and PK's like, Don't do that or something like that. So now they're teammates. Um, so that, that that's going to be kind of interesting or fun um, to see. But. Yeah, uh, this uh, this could, this is another deal where you know uh, I th- I think I like all these like one year moves um, or two year moves where it's like if it if it doesn't work, fine uh, you know it's only one year but um, if it does work then you can kind of like um, you can roll with it or, or see what happens there so I like that I like that move uh, from Wayne Simmons uh, in New Jersey because it's it is a low risk high reward type of type of situation yeah I, I love people betting on themselves in free agency yeah. and we're seeing more of that it's great uh you take a look at wayne simmons's overall stats last year they don't look all that appetizing but he averaged 0.42 rebound chances per game breaking in third in the nhl among sports last year also good at generating chances from the inner slot but one of the knocks on this guy has to be the way he's assembled yeah. at 30 years of age the history of power forwards heading down a steep decline is not pretty we're seeing it with Lucic and Edmonton. Ryan Kessler's at risk of never playing hockey again. If you're a Bruins fan, you just have to watch David Backus every night. Yep. 
But the one thing... And Corey Perry, too. He's also oh, yeah, playing. and Corey Perry, who we just talked about. Yep. But the one thing Wayne Simmons didn't get much of last year was quality ice time. In his early years with the Flyers, when he'd averaged 25 to 30 goals, 100-plus hits, 50 to 60 points, and maybe 200-plus shots on goal per year, he saw time with rising NHL stars like Braden Shen and Sean Couturier. And eventually, he'd spend more time with Claude Giroux and Jakub Voracek. He was also a threat on the power play, which helped beef up his stats a little bit. Fast forward to 2017-18, he's playing with the likes of Valtteri Filippola, Nolan Patrick, Jordan Wheel, Travis Konechny, and Michael Raffle. Goes to Nashville, where he gets put alongside guys like Brian Boyle and Nick Benino. Good players, but are they top six forwards? Not really. If he plays with Taylor Hall and Jack Hughes, this could be a big year for Wayne Simmons. But if he's outside the top six from now on, his value is definitely less significant. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Marcus Johansson goes to the Sabres. Uh, two years, uh, $4.5 million annual average value. Um, this one, um, yeah, this was another one where I thought, like, oh, the Bruins, like, 4.5 isn't a ton of money, but if the Bruins had more cap space, they probably would have kept him. Um, or not signed David Backus, period. Right, of course. Um, that goes without saying. But, yeah, no, the, I mean, the thing with Marcus Johansson is, is that he has this injury history. Um, reportedly, um, so that's, that's uh, I mean, concussions and all that stuff, so that's, that might be an issue um, if um, I, I, I imagine that's why uh, the Sabres didn't want to go very long term with him um, mm-hmm. in, in that regard. But um, yeah, this uh, two years, but at the same time, two years, 4.5 isn't that bad for a depth guy. Um, and, you know, he showed what he, he was the best player, like one of the best players in a couple of games during the playoffs. And, um, apparently, a lot of teams were interested in him just because of his playoff performance. Um, so, I am, as a Bruins fan, I am sad to see him go. Um, but, it, you know, it's just the situation the Bruins are in where we can't afford to keep him. So, um, but yeah, he, he should be a, a good. Buffalo is a good spot for him, I feel like, because um, they do need some, uh, like, forward depth. Um, you know, they really only have that top line there. Um, and,. Uh, Marcus Johansson would uh, will will help with that um, when he, uh, just assuming that he's healthy and and all taken care of. Yeah, it the asterisk of course if healthy. Right. If healthy, there is plenty of upside to the. Marcus Johansson is a guy that can play several positions. When he was with the Washington Capitals, he could average twenty to twenty-five goals and forty-five to fifty-five points. In Boston, we saw his chemistry with Charlie Coyle, and it was arguably one of the reasons why the Bruins went as far as they did in the 2019 playoffs. You look at the Buffalo Sabres and the depth they have outside their bottom six, it's not that bad. And Marcus Johansson's a guy that could play on the first line or the second line or the third line. And I know he's got a 10-team no trade for both years, but two years at a 4.5 million average annual value, they needed a bottom six forward with a bit of top six upside that could play on the wings. Marcus doesn't shoot all that much, but he's an efficient goal scorer. He can help out the power play, as shown in his four years in his final four years with the Caps. And he was one of the best forwards still available when Buffalo signed him this past weekend. So, like the dollar, like the term, Botter will do good work here. I like it. 
Yeah, this one's good. Um, yeah, I mean, other than the Ryan O'Reilly trade, Botterill has made a couple of uh, pretty good trades um, in, in, in his uh, two years here. Um, yeah, get, getting getting Montour and Miller for basically nothing. Yep. Uh, he also gets uh, Jimmy VC for a 2021 third. Uh, mm-hmm. This is another one where it's kind of like Mo- Mojo. Like, VC never really, like, uh, uh, reached the expected hype that he had. But yeah. um, that was to be, I mean, I guess that was to be expected. Uh, but, um, yeah, this could this could be another good one for them. Uh, we will talk about the Yoki Haru, um, Alex Nylander trade uh, the next episode, but that one's also a good trade for the Sabres. A little bit of a preview before we actually talk into it, but I figured we would be worth mentioning it because it's not like um, it's outdated or anything. But but Jimmy VC yeah. for a, a 20 or 21 third, uh, that's not bad, um, and that's something that could work out for them. Um, I, 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 yeah, apparently VC is friends with Eichel, um, uh, and uh, they were uh, uh, both um, at in college, you know, in Boston at this around the same time. So it, it's funny that they're kind of like building a bean pot team. Um, so that 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 that's the only note I wanted to mention for Jimmy VC. He could um, he could still be decent, like a top six player, but. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good uh, it's a good uh, trade for them for there. Yeah, when I heard of G- Jimmy Vc going from the Rangers to the Sabres, I thought, okay, so he decided not to go to Nashville. Buffalo is interested. Decided not to go there. Went to yep. the Rangers, and he's going to Buffalo anyway. Yep. Yeah. That that All that's the other one. Circle. Great. Yeah, that's the other one too. Is like Nashville traded uh, Vc's rights to Buffalo, and then he didn't end up signing with Buffalo. Uh, when they had the chance, so that that's the other funny part about it too. Um, I forgot about that, um, but yeah, we'll talk about the Yoki Aru, uh, Alex Nylander trade um, in a, an upcoming episode. Um, but uh, it's just too much stuff is happening. Um, Matt Zuccarello. So now we go to the questionable contracts here. Uh, Matt Zuccarello is um, going to uh, Minnesota. Um, this is a uh, f- uh, five-year, six million annual average value. Um, I believe he has a no movement clause all through all five years. Um, um, not real. Well, you're close. He has a no move the first three and a ten-team no trade the final two. Okay, I was about to look that up right now, but okay. So he has, uh, yeah. So he has uh, three. The first three years are no movement, but then the last two are no trade clauses uh, so the reason why this is like not to, this is a lot like kevin hayes because i do love matt zuccarello mm-hmm. um but uh at the same time he's like 30 years old um 33 years old he's not you will uh, no, actually be turning 32 in september okay but yeah over 30 definitely. over 30 um he's uh and minnesota like like they they traded Nino Niederreiter, uh, Michael Granlin basically unless Victor Rass sets the world on fire right. next year. They trade Michael Granlin for Kevin Fiala. Um, they traded Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato. Ryan Donato might actually end up working out for them, but yeah, that might be decent. Uh, but like you know, they trade all these like um, these guys that like Granlin, uh, Nino, um, and Coyle could definitely help them out right now. 
Um, and then instead, they go on and trade and, and sign Matt Zuccarello, not just for like, you know, like a like five million or four million or something, six million, uh, for five years. Um, it's nuts when they're still paying Zach Parisi for a couple of years more Ryan uh, Ryan Suter as well. So it's like, like you you can sort of make. Those last three trades, you can sort of make a case like, okay, Minnesota's rebuilding. Uh, they're trying to get all these young pieces. So if that's the case, then why are they signing Matt Zuccarello, who's 31 years old, and uh, he's signing for like five years at $6 million? It's just like, it doesn't make any sense at all um, in that regard. It's just like, I mean, Zuccarello is a good player, um, but... Like, he doesn't, it's just, it doesn't make sense here. Um, especially when you ha- give him a no-movement clause. Seattle, he's not gonna, he's not going to Seattle then. So it's like, um, it's, it's, even if he what if he didn't have this no-movement clause, I don't think Seattle would take his contract. So it's just a, it's a crazy, I don't know, it's, it's just, this is a, we- a weird move. It's just, he's so old, it's, you would think teams would learn that like this is a bad contract especially like I, f- I feel like I've gone through like war with this David Backus contract like I like I, I I've changed I um, <laughs> just you think teams would learn after David Backus especially so um, that's that's where I'm like uh, I don't understand this the signing yeah, it's not, it's not, well, you, you, you know what, the good news for Minnesota Wild fans is they didn't get screwed over by Vegas. Oh, right. Or Colin. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's a good point. Yeah, they did get screwed by Vegas. Um, yeah, thanks for reminding me about uh, the Seattle thing. Um, also interesting that they think of bringing in Phil Kessel, mentioned it already, going to again, and he nixes a no trade. All the while, they might trade Jason Zucker, who they right. just signed a couple months ago. Yep. So, again, it it's another edition in a series of episodes titled who are the Minnesota wild and what the heck is Paul Fenton's end game. Right. Like I know Zuccarello's a good two way forward. He's got top six upside, a little bit of power play help, but again, 32 years old, September 1st in six years, he's going to be 37, 38. How in any way does this retool your team? How does it make them better? I, I, the Minnesota Wild, I guess, aren't much worse with a guy like Zuccarello in the lineup, but they aren't closer to being a legit contender by adding Zuccarello. Yeah, and when it looking... It just hurts them further. Oh, sorry. I, I, do you have more? Or... I, I just said it, it just hurts them further. Yeah. Um, I mean, Minnesota did does sign Ryan Hartman. I do like that deal. But, um, yeah, the Matt Zuccarello one is uh, it's, it's just a head-scratcher. Um also, like it's it's funny. I'm looking at the roster here. Uh, they have uh, Miko Koivu, uh, Zuccarello now, Parise, mm-hmm. Eric mm-hmm. Stahl, um, Ryan Suter, um, Dubnik, and Stalock. They're all over 30 years old, um, and um, and that's basically their core of their team. So it's it's just um, and they're not really close to making the playoffs still. So it's it's just a uh, it's a weird thing. Like I, I could accept it if it's like, all right, they have an old crew there, uh, but and but at least they'll make the playoffs because they have experience. But 
this one it just doesn't make sense. It's just like, what? <laughs> um, and I know they, they've been hurt by the Parise and Suter um, signings long ago, but um, it's just, it, it doesn't feel like it, like even more so you should start getting younger um, and, and, and work towards rebuilding even with those two big contracts like that. So I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. Uh, the biggest one that everyone's uh, angry at uh, is uh, Brandon Tanev. Um, he signs with the Penguins for six years and uh, $3.5 million. Um, I guess the, the, this is one of the ones where the AAV isn't that terrible, but six years for any fourth-line player is pretty crazy. Um, like last year, Vancouver signed Jay Beagle and uh yeah, right. for a uh, long term as well it's just it's just a strange move to like pay someone like that for six years and three million it also i mean we we're going to talk about the phil kessel trade in a minute but like the we're in a couple i mean probably in like 10 minutes later on yeah, yeah. at some point we'll get to it there is a lot that happened. when it, when i say a minute i mean like uh 20 for minutes now. for now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh like Brandon Tanev, like he he was serviceable on for, in the fourth line. He uh, he's like a hitting machine, um, but like at the same time he doesn't score that often. Uh, the Penguins need like winger depth for Malkin and Crosby in their later years, and I don't think Tanev's gonna be that guy. Um, also, it's like a modified no trade clause, and I think because you told me on through email that you have one. Th- one reason why you think you're angry about you you're you're mad about this or you're scratching your head about this this contract and i think i know why it's the modified no trade clause um where he has uh all six years he a player submits a 10 team no trade list um i think that's why you're upset because this is like he can't essentially be traded um or be moved that way um and then um but yeah it's, it's just uh like 3 million is 3.5 million isn't too bad but it's also just crazy too because you trade off uh kessel uh, i can understand trading olimata just for cap reasons but um mm-hmm. you trade those two guys because they're you know they're legitimately good players they helped you win those two cups in back-to-back years um and then uh now you have like the, you do that and then you sign brandon tanev uh for 3.5 million and now you're still back into cap hell you still have like 1 million uh left in cap space and all you did was sign brandon tanev and you lose like the best goal like the most consistent goal scorer one of the most consistent goal scorers in recent memory and uh and a like a a good defenseman went healthy so it's just like it it doesn't make sense in terms of the trade-off in that in that regard it's just like so you trade off phil kessel for cap space but then you get like brandon tanev um who's not gonna like that's pretty much all he's gonna be is a fourth liner uh so that that's where it's like what What's going on here, Jim Rutherford? You Hall of Fame, you Hall of Fame, are you? He should, he should rescind his Hall of Fame uh, from this signing, basically. 
Um, I could see yeah. that. Well, in fairness, when you look at Brandon Tennant's stats, he's a pretty darn good fourth liner. Like you said, 14 yeah. goals, 20 points as a depth guy on a talented Winnipeg Jets team, 127 shots on goal. 278 thir- hits were third most in the league. Yep. You uh, also ranked fourth amongst forwards and blocked shots per game this past year. Didn't even log 15 minutes of ice time per game. So that's a very good stat line for a fourth liner, a guy that does a little bit of everything, mixes it up um, on the physical side. But again, you shake up your offense just so you can do that, Jim Rutherford. I mean, come on. I Like... There's this thing called Seattle expansion. What is it? 2021? I think so, yeah. That's, that's happening, yeah. Uh, Malkin, Crosby, Hornquist, Latang, now Brandon Tanev, all have clauses on their names when Seattle assembles their team. You have to protect one goalie, so there's six guys. So that means you might have to do some wiggling around to make sure Seattle doesn't take someone like, hmm, I don't know, Teddy Bluger or Brian Rust or Jake Ensel. Yeah. Who is probably their best goal scorer now that Kessel's gone? Great. Right, right. Yeah, I, that, I knew that's, that's where that's you were going why, with that. Okay. That's why I'm uh, a bit mad about this trade. You're right. It was the no trade and the implications it has in the expansion draft. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would assume that they would protect Jake Ensel. I, I didn't realize you were going that route in terms of the expansion draft stuff, but Jake Ensel um, is. Uh, I would assume will be kept, but maybe not like, um, uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, maybe not, uh, I was going to say Galchenyuk, but I guess Galchenyuk may not be on the team. Um, but yeah, I guess there's after this year, Dominic Cahoon. I don't know. Oh, I guess he's an RFA as well, but, um, that could be a, I'm talking, I'm talking about guys that are going to be under contract at this moment when Seattle assembles their team. Right, right. That makes sense. I see. Um, all right. Let's get going else. But uh, do you have anything more on Brandon Tanev? Or? No, I think we've beaten that dead horse already. All right. Um, the uh, the next, the, the last questionable one, uh, which we kind of had coming uh, for a bit, uh, like a week beforehand, uh, there were reports that Tyler Myers was going to Vancouver I think there were like reports that seven mil, like he was going to get seven million. Uh, turns out being six million for five years. Um, he also has a ten-team uh, no-trade list here as well. Um, I think the the big reason why it's six million instead of seven million is now it's like um, because of that Roberto Luongo recapture penalty that the Canucks have to deal with, um, and. Um, but they got him at six million. Um, this is uh, this actually isn't as questionable as I thought it would be. be mostly because, um, like he's not a terrible defenseman um, at all. But like at six million, it's a little bit overvalue for sure. But at the same time, it's like you have Quinn Hughes um, on the roster. You don't you don't want to like rush him into into play right away you do have Alex Edler for a couple more years too so um so in that in that regard I can understand like you know you you don't like the the important thing for Vancouver is they want to groom Quinn Hughes to be the guy and Tyler Myers is a good uh good guy to learn from and uh get 
um, and get Quinn Hughes to up to speed on the NHL. And, and like, you know, Quinn Hughes is going to be 19 years old and he's going to be in the league next year. Um, so that's going to be um, interesting. I mean, like, obviously Rasmus Dahlin was able to do that, but, like, at 19 years old, Quinn Hughes may not be ready. So in case that happens, then you have Tyler Myers in there. But it's, it is questionable just because of the price range, but um, at the same time, it's just... It's just uh, um, it, it makes sense from a logic point of view of like, okay, Quinn Hughes may not be ready, so this is a way to groom him and develop him into into the NHL. Tyler Myers is also six foot six and a big boy that's tough to move right. around, so that definitely helps his value. Um, he, he's also a pretty versatile defenseman. He can put up twenty five to thirty five points a year, rack up some hits and block shots, maybe even hundred shots on goal. But again, the, the question of the money and the term and whether or not it matches up to its role is is the question. I mean, you look at his first two seasons in his NHL career, pretty respectable. Yep. But part of the reason why he did well in Winnipeg is that he wasn't the guy. He was part of the solution and a big one, like I said, at six foot six, six foot eight. But you also had Dustin Bufflin in the fold, Jacob Truba in the fold, Josh Morrissey coming into the fold later on. Those are the top three blue Myers in Winnipeg. And I know he blocked 6.7 passes per game last year, but the real question is, can Tyler Myers lead this team? Because his puck battle win percentage was 34% last year, and that wasn't even good enough to put him in the NHL top 150 defensemen. His defensive partners last year were Joe Morrow, Dmitry Kulikov, and Ben Chirot. He had 17 power play points, surprisingly, two years ago as a second or third pairing player. But now that he's the top four defenseman, are you expecting Tyler Myers to be a power play threat, a top four defender, and the heart and soul of your defense? Because that's not what I'm expecting. I think this would look even worse if Alex Edler wasn't there. But the fact that Alex Edler is still on board makes it hurt a bit less. Maybe the 29-year-old Myers can learn a few more tools from him to lead this team someday on his own. But I think for Tyler Myers to be a successful contributor to the Vancouver Canucks, he cannot be the guy. He needs to be a good supporting cast member. That being said, on the right side, before getting Tyler Myers, the Canucks had Troy Stetcher, Alex Viega, and Chris Tenna, which isn't a very strong right side, so he makes him better in that regard. But just overall, that's uh, eh, a risk. Yeah, it's definitely a risk, and it's uh, definitely a high price. Um, but I don't think, like, yeah, I think it, it's not as bad when you consider that Edler is going to be there, and so is um, uh, Quinn Hughes as well. So um, in, in that regard, I don't think it's as questionable as people are making it out to be. Um, goalies here um so we have a couple of goalies to get to uh the mm. big two uh we should talk at length at is uh robin leonard he has one year five million to chicago uh this was this is funny because when we were doing the preview i mentioned a couple teams that might want a goalie um i had chicago on this list but i didn't really think that they were gonna like actually get Robin Leonard 
um, and and they ended up doing it. Um, the, the, I mean, uh, Corey Crawford's going to be a, a UFA next year as well, um, so mm-hmm. this could be just like a, they they may have a tandem this year, and then um, see see uh, how Robin Leonard does this year, and then um, maybe eventually then they'll give him longer term. I can understand giving uh, Robin Leonard a shorter term just to make sure that he is uh, what uh, what he was in New York um, for the Islanders. But uh, yeah, this one isn't, um, I kind of like this idea. It's, it's more of like the, the betting on yourself kind of thing where uh, Robin Leonard thinks that he can make more eventually. Um, and, and, teams, and a team like the Blackhawks can afford to do this to see like what they have in Robin Leonard. If it doesn't work out, uh, fine. They can uh, they'll they'll definitely be in the market next year for a goalie. But like you know, this year they can uh, try to see if Robin Leonard um, will is as good as he was last year, and without Mitch Korn, the goalie whisper. So um, that will be it. Will be an interesting experiment and. It'll be a fascinating storyline to see how Robin Leonard does uh, this season. Yeah, there are a lot of good things I like about this one-year $5 million gamble by Robin Leonard. First of all, Robin Leonard had an amazing year in more ways than numbers can ever explain. But on a list of 60 goalies last year, he was third in the league in goals against average, 2.13, sixth in actual to expected goals against, second in save percentage at 930, Seventh in slot save percentage, 863. Still in the top 20 in inner slot save percentage, 18th out of 60 goalies at 805. He's also a very motivated, passionate guy that will give you absolutely everything he has. He put in the work during his lone season with the Islanders. He got the results. He wanted to stay and he wanted term, a discussion that had its challenges, obviously. But even if it was a year or two years, he was willing to make it work. And when he circled back to the Islanders on July 1st to consider a two-year deal that was closer to his financial terms, Lamorello said, sorry, went with somebody else, and Robin signed with Chicago. So what this does is it for it forms a formidable one-two punch with Corey Crawford. And like you said, Crawford, UFA the same time as Robin Leonard next July. Um, he's also 35. He's also had an unlucky run of injuries specifically concussions and if robin plays well enough maybe they keep him and they don't keep Corey crawford especially considering that he's younger and if you have doubts that leonard isn't a great goalie without good defense there are some years in buffalo like we've mentioned before where he was flirting with a 920 save percentage and the sabers didn't have a formidable defense but it's still worth pointing out that Chicago's main weak point last year was their back end. Only the Senators gave up more goals last year than the Hawks. Only the Sens averaged more shots against per game than the Hawks. Nobody had a worse penalty kill success rate than Chicago's 72.7%, and only the Leafs and Blue Jackets had fewer minor penalties taken than the Chicago Blackhawks. And the structure for success in New York was there for Robin Leonard because there was Mitch Korn because there was Barry Trotz to help show him the way, and he thrived. And now he doesn't have those assets in Chicago. So the question is, does that hurt Robin Leonard? And we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, 
Uh, we'll see. I, I, I like this move for them, but uh, we'll, I think the one thing that's going to be interesting with the Blackhawks is uh, versus the Islanders is like the Islanders have a better defensive core than the Blackhawks do. Um, so that's going to be... Um, I, I am curious to see how Leonard does in a, with a worse defensive core um, mm -hmm. in front of him. So that will be the interesting take there. Uh, Semyon Varlamov uh, takes over for the Robin Leonard spot. Uh, he gets four years, five million. Uh, the, uh, he has, also has a new, no movement clause uh, t for the first two years and then a 10 team no trade clause. Uh, for the rest of the time. Um, yeah, so I guess this is essentially meaning like he's not going to be, um, he's, uh, you know, he's he's going to uh, not be on Seattle. Uh, the, you know, Thomas Grice is a UFA next year. Uh, the Islanders also have um, this uh, guy, Sorokin, um, Ilya Sorokin, who's in the KHL now. Um, and apparently Varlamov and Sorokin are pretty good friends, so um, I think that was a big reason why they wanted Varlamov in the first place was so that they can, you know, they can have a friend uh, for Sorokin there. And yeah, a little bit him. of a mentor there, yeah. Yeah, so that, that could be an interesting thing down the line. Um, but yeah, the, uh, it's an interesting, uh, this is, a, yeah, this is another one where it's like, um, maybe he'll have the same effect that, uh, you know, it seems like Barry Trotz just has a way with goalies and Mitch Korn, especially because he's the goalie coach, uh, with Barry Trotz. So I am, uh, I am curious to see if something in Marlamoff will be able to, um, uh, to like improve because of, uh, the Mitch Korn experience. Um, experience and all that stuff so that's um, that's that's going to be the, an interesting way of things there yeah Varlamov is an interesting case uh, you look at his slot save percentage last year 13th best out of a list of 60 goalies but in categories like overall goals against average actual to expected goals against save percentage inner slot save percentage he was no better than 30th on that list of 60 in any of them and granted, Colorado wasn't all that disciplined during the regular season. They took the fifth most minors, and their penalty kill was in the bottom ten. And to Varlamov's credit, in three of his eight years with the Az, he still posted a save percentage of 920 or better. And the most games he played in one of those years was 63, and he won 41 games that same year. The good news for Varlamov is that Thomas Grice is still in Long Island, so they could continue with the 1A, 1B option that way. Like you said, they have competency in all the right places, particularly behind the bench and when it comes to coaching their goalies. Mitch Korn is a magician. But Varlamov's injury history is a concern. He suffered groin injuries, hip injuries, and knee injuries over the past three years. For a 31-year-old uh, goalie, that's pretty worrisome. But even then, according to natural stature, when Varlamov's healthy, Marlowe's goal saved above average for 60 minutes at 5 on 5 or the past three seasons is tied for 33rd among the 53 keepers who have played at least 3,000 minutes. And that puts him in the same company as guys like Jonathan Bernier, Peter Morazic, Mike Smith, and James Reimer. Those are, those are just a few names. 
So snubbing Robin Leonard when he comes back to you saying, I'm I'm interested. Oh, you're going with another guy? Okay. So saying no to Leonard, going going with four years of uncertainty in Semyon Varlamov and not bringing back a Vezina nominee is a very big, bold move by Lou Lamorello, especially when you consider that over the next two years, there are a lot of high-tier goalies that will become free agents. Braden Holtby, Corey Crawford, there's a risk there, obviously. Craig Anderson, aging, but still has some hype. Right. Leonard, no guarantee he's still there. Uh, Tuka Rass, Freddie Anderson, Pecorine, aging. Dubnik, inconsistent, anti-ranta, injury-prone. King Henrik, aging. And maybe they'll cost a bit more, but how much more? than the five million you're paying Barlamov for the next four years. Yeah, it is it is strange. It does feel like a downgrade uh, from Leonard to Varlamov, but um, at the same time Varlamov and Varlamov also has like an injury history too, so that's where you get mm-hmm. a little concerned on that in that regard. But um, I don't know. It, it will be a interesting thing to see how Barlamov does in, in the Islanders. It's, it's weird. You never know with goalies because, like, it could just be a situational thing. It could just be the defense in front of them. It's, there's so much in play when, when it comes to goalies. Um, it's hard to find a consistent one. So, yeah, but it is strange to, like, uh, not take a ch- another chance at Leonard um, considering the season he had. Um, all right, let's. Uh, we're gonna do these goalie ones pretty quickly, but um, they are worth noting. So Mike Smith and Cam Talbot kind of changed places in um, Alberta, although I guess Talbot was in Philadelphia for uh, yeah. for a time. He, he, but he made a pit stop. Um, he he made a pit stop on Broad Street first, and then and he then went he back went back to Alberta. Alberta. Yeah. yeah, but uh, Mike Smith is going to Edmonton, one year, two million. Uh, Talbot is going to Calgary one year, two point seven five million. These are both low risk, high reward kind of things, but um, yeah, it does like it, it. does seem like Mike Smith didn't really have a great season, but I guess uh, Calgary is uh, sticking with a David Riddick um, and all that stuff. So uh, there's that to to um, inquire about. And then um, Edmonton, yeah, who knows with Edmonton. Um, with Mike Smith, um, he should be the starter because I'm not too confident in Koskinen, but um, Mike Smith should be a, a decent, but like at one year, two million, it's like what's really to lose there at that point. Yeah, there there's a lot of intrigue behind uh, the Smith and Talbot signings. Calgary averaged, if you don't recall, they averaged the fewest shots against per game during the regular season. Yep. And Mike Smith still had a save percentage below 900 and a GAA slightly over 270. In the playoffs, Calgary's defense takes a nap. Colorado proceeds to average 30 to 40 shots a night. And Smith doesn't play good enough to bail them out, but only so much he could do. He still posted a 917 save percentage in five playoff games. Yep. So he had a strong playoffs. He warrants his contract. The problem with Mike Smith is he's now going to Edmonton that maybe has no defense at all. Right, and right. part of ways with one of their veterans and Andre Sakara. So, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, the situation might line up, not line up there. Talbot, uh, Talbot is going to a better defense. 
that might actually be able to help him. But even on that subpar Edmonton defense uh, a couple of years ago, he was still a Vezina nominee. So a part of me wonders if he is capable of bouncing back. And I'm curious why they didn't go with someone like Curtis McElhaney if they wanted a cheaper option or even Robin Leonard if they made them a major player in the next year or two. But I guess they have a lot of faith in their young goalies like John Gillies and uh, Tyler Parsons. Well, I mean, one year at 2.75 isn't that bad of a... isn't, like, super expensive either. So, But, yeah, yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah, I I like the Talbot deal now that you mention it because Calgary does have a good defense um, and... Talbot, like, he he did have a time where he was decent, so maybe he'll he'll have a resurgence um, in Calgary. Yeah, and the, and the team he went to in Philadelphia also had no defense. Right, right. And he didn't play much, so... But, I mean, yeah, yeah that, I was going to say it's not like he had, had a... He played a ton. Uh, yeah, small like, he, 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 he had often... He had from a stat standpoint, one of the worst seasons a goalie could have, but it wasn't entirely his fault. Right. Also, Stolarz is going to Anaheim, so he was the guy that uh, he was traded for, um, mm-hmm. but like he's he's going to Anaheim, and he'll probably be in the AHL for a time, but um, that that's a good move there. Uh, just, uh, just let him wallow in the AHL for a time. Uh, Peter Morazic is going uh, to is re-signed with Carolina, two years, three point one million. Um, yeah, this is a decent deal. It's it's kind of interesting because McElhaney is going to Tampa, and being the Mick backup um, <laughs> to Vasilevsky. But uh, yeah, so Morazic is uh, is kind of the guy in charge. Uh, Carolina also got James Reimer. Um, from Florida and uh, uh, for uh, Scott Darling and Darling instantly got bought out by Florida, but um, yeah, James Reimer um, in uh, Carolina and so is Morazic. Those are going to be the new duos there in Carolina. Um, I yeah, I like this deal for Morazic. He uh, he had a an okay season. Um, I felt like McElhaney was the better goalie, but. Um, you will see, I would imagine Morazic will get more starts than Reimer. Um, but I, I could see Reimer actually being the starter, um, ahead of Morazic. Um, I feel like Reimer had like one of the worst seasons of his career and he can't do any worse. So he's, he could, he is due for a, a bounce back as well. Um, the good news uh, is that the Hurricanes gave up the third fewest shots per game last year, yep. so maybe facing fewer shots will help uh, those numbers go down. And that's part of the reason why Morazic, maybe you could say, finished in the top 10 in goals against average. He had a 2.39 GAA this past year. Uh, in, a, in 13 of his final 17 regular season decisions, he won and posted a GAA well over two. Um, so there's no doubt when he is on his game, Peter Morazic can be a difference maker. At the same time, he was outside the top 30 in inner slot save percentage during the regular season. So a two-year deal at $3.125 million per, that's a very wise signing, especially, like I said uh, earlier in the show, 
a lot of notable free agent goalies on the market within the next two years. So I think Carolina either puts everything into Alex Nedeljkovic, who is still their goalie of the future, or they go for a big fish in free agency and at some point ditch Morazic if he doesn't pan out. So right. I think they're being awfully cautious with Morazic. Yeah, I see. All right, let's do the miscellaneous stuff. Um, we're finally there. Um, yeah, and there's still a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot. That's true. We weren't kidding when we said a lot happened. Uh, I mean, I think I think there are listeners now. Um, <laughs> uh, considering yeah, but... they'll they'll see the timestamp and they're like, okay, we are going two hours. <laughs> we're going more than two hours. It's a lot to cover. Um, Sebastian Ajo uh, gets five years for eight point four five million uh, for Carolina. Speaking of Carolina. Uh, the big, the bigger story here was that Mont- this was Montreal's offer sheet that Aho signed. Um, Aho, I mean, I guess Aho is their best player. There was reports that like Aho um, and uh, Carolina Brass were like um, were having trouble with the contract negotiations, where Aho wanted five years, but. Uh, Waddell and and uh, Dundon wanted like uh, wanted him for longer for obvious reasons, um, but um, but then Aho uh, signs his offer sheet um, and uh, Carolina is kind of forced to match. Um, it's uh, it's funny too because we've been waiting all this so long for like is a team going to offer sheet. Um, is some team going to offer sheet an RFA? Because we haven't seen it in a long, long time. And then it actually happens. And then it's like, oh, right. Because, like, there's a reason why teams don't offer sheet that often. Just because, like, the team, like, Carolina was obviously going to match. Um, if anything, this is, like, a way to undervalue uh, Sebastian Ajo um, in a way. I think the big reason why Montreal thought that they could sign him was because of the bonus money um it's like 21 million the first two years or something like that which is uh, the first months yeah or the first yeah a couple months so that's something that like uh maybe like if carolina wasn't in the playoffs maybe you could say that aho uh like carolina couldn't do that but now they actually have fans um, so they could afford to do that. Um, so it was more just uh, like a, I guess it, from Montreal's standpoint, it was just a way to say like, hey, we didn't get Duchesne um, and we didn't really get anyone else. So, but at least we tried and all that stuff. Um, and then for Aho, he said in his statement when they officially matched, um, Aho said that he can't, he's excited to be a hurricane for the next five years. Um, he uh, he was honored that Montreal offer sheeted him, and the only re- apparently, I'm paraphrasing here. Apparently, the only reason why he even signed the offer sheet was because he wanted to speed up the process and he wanted to make it to Carolina um, in t- in time um, for the, the the first practice. So he didn't want to like he wanted to speed up the process and and get what he wanted. He didn't. I guess it is an interesting tactic that I'd, I'm surprised more players don't do this that often because, um, like, there is a knowledge that, like, players are going to match. So if a team offers sheets you a contract that you want, but 
like there there's a pretty high guarantee that your your team is going to match that um and so i i've never seen that strategy used before and i, I kind of like it from sebastian ajo's camp if if that's actually true and it's not all like publicity or something but um yeah it's kind of it's also kind of telling sorry i'll take it to you in a second but uh it's also kind of telling that aho wanted five years um and that's when he'll be officially a ufa so i'll be curious yep. in five okay, years yep. um so i'll be i'll be curious to see if he so that just shows that he wants to get a ton of money during ufa which he deserves obviously but um, it maybe it just shows that uh, maybe it's not going to be Carolina, but um, it, it's, it's definitely not a guarantee that he's going to Montreal in after these five years either. Sebastian Ajo is going to be 22 years old very soon. He has recorded at least 200 shots on goal in each of his first three NHL seasons. Went from an average time on ice of 17.55 in year two to 20.09 in 2018-2019, making him one of 26 forwards to average at least 20 minutes per game during this past regular season. He ranked 40th in that same group in total regular season power play time and tops on the team. He has posted 17 goals and 57 points with the extra man in his first three NHL seasons. He has shown steady progression each season, going from 24 goals and 49 points as a rookie to 29 goals and 65 points in 2017-18, and then 30 goals and 83 points in 82 games with a career-high 243 shots on goal this past year. Also recording four shorthanded goals, seven game winners, and just three power play goals. He had more shorties than power play goals this past year. He also had 81 takeaways, placing him eighth amongst NHL skaters. Just a season ago, he was near the top 30 in that same category. What's interesting about Sebastian Ajo, and I mentioned it a few times already, is how he dictates the pace. He was in the NHL's top 20 forwards in controlled entries per game, slot pass completions per game, offensive zone puck possession time per game, and rush chances per game. In his third NHL season, he's showing signs of being a top 20, top 30 player in this league already. Montreal has a few streaky forwards, but nothing like Sebastian Ajo. So what do they have to lose with all that cap space, with all those draft picks? You're in a much better spot if you win that offer sheet. So I totally get where Mark Bergevin's going with this. But like you said, now that the Carolina Hurricanes have fans, they would look stupid 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 if they didn't match this they lose a main source of offense in all situations they're very good at the takeaway game like they have a lot of players that can take away pucks but they lose the pure score down the middle before even it's his prime you know who they have outside sebastian ajo down the middle they have martin nakas clark bishop and an aging jordan Stahl. yeah and you lose a guy that can play with Andrei Sveshnikov and Nino Niederreiter, who was close to a point-per-game player since coming over from Minnesota. And now you add Eric Hall in the mix. Who says that first, second, and third pick will amount to the level of Sebastian Ajo combined? There's no guarantee at all. They had to match this. They were wise to. 
Yeah, it's it was a good move for Carolina. Also, like, um, like you would maybe have a case of it if it's like if Sebastian Ajo like got like was signed an offer sheet that was like ten million, and then you'd have to give up four first. Uh, Montreal would have to give up four first rounds. Then maybe you start to think about it, but. Um, but this was one of those things where it's like, all right, the, the only real reason um, that Ajo or that the Hurricanes wouldn't match this is if um, he, um, you know, is if the, the bonus stuff and that doesn't seem like that big of a deal uh, to them. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing uh, for that, uh, for Carolina, obviously he's their best player and all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I liked I liked that move. Um, There's another thing I was gonna mention, but I, I'm thinking on it. Anyways, whatever. Let's go. Let's go on here. Uh, uh, San Jose made two moves here uh, for their RFAs. Uh, Timo Meyer uh, gets three years, six million. It's actually four years and six million. Oh, okay. I thought I had. I have here that's three years. Oh, okay. It's four years. Um, he's going to be an RFA at the end of those four years, um, but even still, which is kind of funny. But uh, and then you have Kevin LeBlanc, who gets one year, one million. And on that contract, you would think that LeBlanc had like I don't know, like twenty points, maybe like uh, seventeen points. No, uh, Kevin LeBlanc had fifty-six points. No big deal. And he gets like the like a. Like a, it's like a one million dollar contract here, uh, probably this is like definitely the most undervalued contract um, right now just because of this. Uh, like he had fifty six points and, and and he's making one million dollars now next year. Um, I mean, I I guess it's one of those things where he's trying to. Um, he it is a good thing that he's he's showing that the sharks that hey he wants to be a part of this team and if he can sign for less then he'll you know it'll make all the other cap their cap situation much better but that's the stranger part but yeah uh, Timo Meyer uh, is around where I expected him to be uh, uh, he had a career year this year breakout year 66 points in 78 games. Um, he, um, so yeah, he's, he's definitely worth the 6 million, but Kevin million, Kevin, Kevin LeBlanc at one year, 1 million is, um, is amazing. Obviously it's one year. So like maybe he'll, he'll get more next year, but, um, but like at 1 million at, with a guy who just had 56 points, um, I, I think San Jose is like this is might be the steal of the off season, um, uh, in, in that regard. Yeah, when you look at Timo Meyer and everyone's you know just wondering what the Sharks are gonna do without Pavelski, who was like close to a forty goal score. There were four guys above him in shots on goal this past year. Meyer was one of them, and out of the likes of Brent Burns, Evander Kane, Loka Couture, Joe Pavelski, and Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer had the lowest time on ice per game out of those five guys. He still got 30 goals. He still got 66 points in 78 games. The year before 
this past year, he had 21 goals on 210 shots, and he still wasn't a top liner. In the early parts of 2017-18, he was playing with guys like Ryan Carpenter, Mikhail Bacher, Chris Tierney, Berkeley Goudreau, Joel Ward. Uh, later, spent time with Melker Carlson, Jonas Donskoy, Kevin LeBanc. This past year, to start off, he spent more ice time with Kutcher and Pavelski. And they tried to put Hurdle on his line in the second quarter, but he ultimately stayed with Pavelski and Logan Couture. He gets added exposure to the top six, and then he has a breakout year. But this is one heck of a steal. Not a single no trade in sight. Very cap-friendly deal. Like This is a bargain $6 million per year acquisition. And the best part is when it ends, like you said, Brett, he's an RFA. He's under club control. He doesn't go straight to free agency. They can they can sign him to a longer-term deal, and he doesn't hit free agency. So that's interesting. When it comes to Kevin LeBanc, one year, one million for a guy of his stats. I don't even care if he doesn't play a second of penalty kill time. That is absurdity from Doug Wilson right yep. there. Like, this guy is playing on a second line or third line capacity, probably a top six forward on any other team, never averaging more than 14 minutes and 30 seconds time on ice per game and in a single season he's played so far. And yet he ranked in the league's top 20 forwards last year in completed offensive zone passes for 20 minutes, power play one-timer passes for 20 minutes, and first above everybody in offensive zone Luke's puck in offensive zone Luke's loose pucks recovered per 20 minutes. Yep. And he ranked fifth in total power play time among San Jose Shark skaters this past year and the year before that. He has 38 power play points the past two seasons. Yeah. Two seasons, Brett. That's absurd for a guy who doesn't even average 15 minutes per game and if and if if you want if you want a real appreciation of kevin lebanc as an offensive giant in 2015-16 this guy led all ohl skaters in scoring with 127 points in 65 games the players behind him in order were christian dvorak mitch marner Dylan Strome, Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Mangiapani, Alex Dabrinkit, Travis Konechny, Mike Amadio, and Christian Fisher. There are three RFAs I just mentioned that will get the Brinks truck, and they won't get it next year. They'll likely be get it. They're likely going to get it before October rolls around, right. and he's only making one million next year. It's almost as if Doug Wilson said when Guardian Leviosa and he strangled himself out of cap hell. Job done. I cannot believe my eyes with these two signings. I I don't know how he pulled it off. Yeah, it is is amazing. I mean, I guess, I mean, the only thing about the LeBanc deal is that it is one year. So I imagine, like, next year LeBanc is going to, you know, um, make it interesting for the Sharks. In, in that regard, in terms of their cap situation, but um, and also like they they lose Pavelski and um, they lose uh, uh, what's his face Nyquist as well. So it's 
Donskoy, but yeah, and Donskoy as well. So, but like those three are, you know, you can afford to lose those guys. And not to mention Eric Carlson's making 11.5 with his injury history. So that's a little risky in that regard. But yeah, it's like all those two deals make up for it um, just because of like the steal that you got, especially that Kevin LeVanc deal. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, LeVanc is just thinking that he's, he uh, he just wants to be on the team and doesn't want to like affect it too much maybe, um, but yeah he could be making so much more. It's also like one yeah. million dollars is a lot of money even for for a normal person anyway. So it's like, um, so he may he'll be he'll be okay in life, um, even with one million dollars. Um, yeah, uh, next year he's actually going to be an RFA with arbitration rights. So uh, if if things get hairy, you know, he can always go to a third party arbitrator to help him out. True. What what I thought and dollar uh, the first thing the information in the bank the other year. Then I found out it was one million. And I'm thinking they're making enough room to bring back Joe Thornton for one more year. Yep. Because they have over $5 in cap space to do it. They could do it. They could bring back Joe Thornton. They have the catch. Yeah, they have have done that the last two years, so they could could definitely do that too. Um, I mean, Joe Thornton would would do a one-year, one million as well, so they could definitely do that too. Um, There's something about that Sharks team, man. They got a lot of character there. For sure. Um, all right, let's go to, uh, there's two big trades that happen. Um, also there's a signing that just happened and, uh, maybe, uh, that I'll, I'll update you, Steve, after, after we talk about these two. Is it a big one? Uh, it's, it's not really. I mean, I'll tell you, I I won't tell you the team yet, but it's Michael Furland, um, gets signed. Um, all right, so uh, the first one we're going to talk about uh, is the first trade we're going to talk about is Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot, Kerfoot go to uh, go to Toronto for Nazem Kadri and Callie Rosen. Uh, this is one of those trades that I kind of like it for both teams. Uh, we can start with Toronto for uh, first is that you know they've been you know they've been saying this for a while now or. I mean, we've we've all been thinking it that they needed like a right-handed defenseman. Uh, Tyson Berry is that guy, um, and I, I guess this is kind of proof that Cam Lacar is going to make his NHL debut a full time in in Colorado, um, and maybe Bowen Byram is is ready as well. But um, this is a good move for but this is a good move for Toronto. Um, in terms of that regard, like, you know, he's only going to be, he's a UFA next year, which is a little concerning, but at the same time, when you look at their cap friendly page, the only defenseman that, um, Toronto has long-term, um, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about this in the Sun segment, but, um, is Morgan Riley, um, who's, uh, signed on for three years. Everyone else is either a UFA or an RFA next year. Um, so that's that's pretty good news for like Tyson Berry. It, this is like it's just uh, showing that they're in win now mode. I mean, obviously they're in win now mode, but um, Tyson Berry um, adds that that piece that 
This is legitimately scarier than when the, the Leafs got Tavares last year. Um, when you add a defenseman like Tyson Berry, I know he has his defensive deficiencies, but um, when you have like Barry and Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin all on the same team, it's like your defense, like you, this is a way to improve your, um, you know, take one of your strength, which was your forward depth, um, and then you move it uh, to defense where that's going to be your biggest weakness and you strengthen that up. And I feel like this is a good way to, um, to like, you know, help that out. And, um, and maybe like you give uh, guys like Timothy Lilligren, Rasmus Sandin some time uh, to develop in the, in the minors while you let uh, Tyson Berry and Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley do their thing out front here um so there's so that's that's good news there uh Kerfoot um obviously he's not a Nazem Kadri but he was a decent player uh for for Colorado um still I think he had like the fifth most points um in Colorado um and he uh so this is like a good move for them I would imagine he'll be the third line center or take over from Nazem Kadri's spot in the lineup but um yeah this is another good deal at 3.5 million that's another good deal like the andreas Janssen and casper kapanen um as for colorado i'm not i mean i'm not i wouldn't say uh i'm the biggest nazim kadri fan but um i do know that he is worth um he 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 does get more deployment now in colorado and that's going to be good for uh, Colorado depth-wise, uh, just because he's going to be the second-line center. Um, the only issue I have with that is is that like they got Burakovsky, um, but they still didn't really like like who's his wingers going to be. It feels like it's going to be the similar situation in Toronto the last year, uh, where he's not going to have enough wingers, good enough wingers to play with. Um, and, and that's where it gets a little concerning, but it, it is, it's like a good trade for both sides because they both address their needs and, um, it would help them get far into the playoffs or, um, and, and all that stuff. So, um, and win more games, but, um, yeah, what, what, what is your take? Honestly, I kind of started visualizing this trade long before it happened, more specifically when, the Avs traded to get Kevin Connaughton. And I thought, why are they getting more defense? They're pretty good on defense, unless they're thinking of moving Tyson Berry, which if they needed forward depth, I think that's the only way it would happen is that they traded Tyson Berry. And I thought Toronto would be a good landing point because the Leafs have the offensive depth that Colorado is searching for. And when I heard Alex Kerfoot was the initial piece going to Toronto, Darren Drager tweeted out Kerfoot to the Leafs. I'm thinking, why are the Leafs getting more offensive depth? And I'm thinking, wait, are they getting Tyson Berry? Right. And if so, Kadri is probably gone. And that's exactly what happened. The official release comes out. And here we are. Uh, in regards to Tyson Berry, is he a better all-around defenseman than Jake Gardner? No. But he is a right-handed shot, which Jake Gardner is not. And the offensive upside is much greater. He has posted nine goals and 55 points on the power play in the last two years. In the last two years, 
this guy did that with the extra man. If you think the Leafs were lethal on special teams before, check out this new dynamic. This is a team driven by speed. Tyson Berry completed an average of 16.2 passes in the offensive zone in 2018-19. No other defenseman had a higher average. Um, he also averaged 40 seconds of puck possession time in the offensive zone per game. Only one defenseman did it more times than he did in the past year. Um, the Avs have had the most time spent on the power play of any team last year. The Leafs had the second fewest ahead of only the Dallas Stars. When you look at what Tyson Berry can do, he can average a hair under two completed stretch passes per game. At least he did this past year. Top 50 defenseman in that regard. That's a missing element to the Leafs attack because if you look at Toronto's offense, what do you think of? You think of young guys with speed. If you get the young guys flying and the other team chasing the puck, you either create a goal, you either create a scoring chance, or you create a power play. And I do recognize that Tyson Berry's been at the level of a 40 to 50 point defenseman for a while now. But the past two years, he ranks 12th amongst defenders in shots on goal, has the same amount of goals as Brent Burns, also the third more of power play points, has six most points, and is barely in the top 50 for average time on ice per game amongst defensemen. You look at Morgan Riley, who has 20, 124 points over the past two seasons. Only Brent Burns and John Carlson have more than he does. He has posted over 400 shots on goal, putting him in the top 10. He's averaged 11 seconds more than Tyson Berry per game. Imagine those two on the same deep pairing. Yeah. Heads are going to roll. Everyone's going to be salivating in Toronto. The downside is that Berry, according to one report, might be looking for $8 million per year in his next deal, and the lease are getting him at half of his current salary which is six million so they're paying him three million for a year and they're if they keep him around they're probably gonna have to pay him later jake muzzin is making under five million this year they're gonna have to extend morgan riley and frederick anderson down the road both are making five million right now per year so when you look at toronto's cap situation they still have issues which as you allude to your point they're in win now mode this is like the Raptors getting Kawhi Leonard and trading DeMar DeRozan. Nazem Kadri was a fan favorite in Toronto from the early days of the Leafs that you see today. Nazem Kadri has been there for the good times. He's been there through the bad times. He was there when they lost to Boston in 2013. You remember that well, Brad. Yep. So losing a popular face. But he wasn't there for the last two playoff series against the Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, yeah, that's probably why he's not back. Look, the Leafs are in cap hell. They're still in cap hell after this trade. Nassim Kadri was probably on his way out the door even if he did everything right and he didn't get suspended a single game in his career. He was a victim of circumstance. And it's a very tough circumstance because he's the third-line center, and the guys above him are John Tavares and Austin Matthews. Right. He's not getting better opportunities in Toronto with those two guys ahead of him. And I think for Alex Kerfoot, who recently signed a four-year deal to stay with the team, just over $3 million per, um, there's a fair bit of upside to his game. Um 
and he's a, of course a bit younger than Nazem Kadri. But again, he is going to be getting the same kind of circumstance that Kadri would if he was the third line center in Toronto. Not playing on the same line as John Tavares, not playing on the same line as Austin Matthews. And his offensive results would take a hit. But when your best right-handed defensemen prior to this trade are Justin Hall and Cody Cece, who you just acquired from the Sens, who is maybe worse than Zaitsev, uh, the Leafs didn't really address their need until this trade happened. So the, the Leafs in the short term win this trade. They get what they want. The Avs get some depth down the middle, which they needed. They're going to get a motivated Nassim Kadri. I think this is going to be a wake-up call for Nassim Kadri. If you look at some of his point holes and some of his earlier days with Toronto, if he's put in the right situation, this guy can do some damage. And he can get under your team's skin you know, when he's not suspended. And if put in the right situation, he can be a valuable, valuable asset to the Colorado Avalanche. And... Um, if you want to talk about Callie Rosen, he's a left shot coming off a yep. rather impressive AHL season where he got 46 points in 54 games with the Marlies. But if you look, if you look at Callie Rosen and where he fits in, again, he's a victim of circumstance. There are a lot of guys ahead of them on the depth chart. They're strong on the left side defensively already, especially with Morgan Riley. So I don't think it was going to work out for Kali Rosen and the Leafs. So the Avs get another useful young defensive player and that maybe has a fair chance of doing something uh, with the Avalanche. So like you said, both teams gained in different ways in this trade. And uh, I wish Nazem Kadri the best. And it should be noted that Nazem Kadri and I came across this last night. He nixed a deal to the Calgary Plains. So watch out for Calgary this offseason. They're going to do something. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that that rumor. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I guess I am a little bit biased towards Nazem Kadri just based off of the last two playoff series that happened. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, there is no denying that this guy can score and he's an NHL player. Um, but like I mentioned before, the only thing that I am worried about is, is like, yeah, he's going to be the second-line center, but uh, the Colorado Avalanche don't really have a ton of wingers other than Landeskog and Rantanen. So, um, I mean, maybe they move, they maybe they move one of those two on to Nazem Kadri's line, uh, just so that he has a like one of like a superstar player on that line. Um, but uh, that's that's where I'm like, that's where I, I start to wonder if Kadri. Um, will be able to um, uh, be as effective as he was um, the uh, the cadre of the past that we were used to. So that's where I'm not entirely sure, but it is it is a good move regardless because it's like better than who you could have gotten um, anyways. Yeah, I, I feel like the Colorado Avalanche, you know, they did stack up on some depth signings. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently they're going with Pavel Francouz as their backup. They're not even going to go out on the free agent market and look for a short-term solution to back up Grubauer. Yeah. A part of me wonders if they're saving up their cap space. Like, everyone knows 
they're gonna give Ranton in what he wants. But I'm wondering if they're saving up their money to go big game hunting on free agents next year. They feel that there's nothing really on the market uh, worth purchasing and overpaying for. Let's just wait till next year when the market is fresh and go after somebody then. So I mean, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what the Avs do in the next 12 months. I mean, and also it's like you know, Kill McCarr. They're they're gonna ease him in, and they also have Bowen Byram as well. So that's that's where it's like they're in pretty good shape. And I mean, like Nathan McKinnon's making six million dollars uh, for four more years. So like they're they're in pretty good shape because McKinnon's probably could be being paid like uh, like McDavid money or Matthews money, but um, mm-hmm. he, he's being paid um, six million half that. So that's uh, um, so that's like a steal of a deal now in that case. So that's, um, so I, I think they're in good shape cap wise. Um, but it, it may, they, maybe they'll, they'll regroup next year and see how this season goes. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. They also, it should also be noted. They have Connor Timmons in their prospect pool. He's a right-handed shot like Tyson Berry. So yep. uh, maybe it opens the door for him to make his mark too. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Callie Rosen play uh, this season on the on the big roster as well. So that could be some an interesting yeah. move there that way. They, they have a lot of left shot defensemen in Colorado too, but it's not as concrete as the Leafs. So I think he gets a fair shot there. Either for way. sure, for sure. Um, all right, the other uh, the other trade that happened that we should talk about is a trade that actually happened after we finished recording, like an hour after we finished recording. Uh, Alex, because of course, because of course, because of course, um, Alex Galchenyuk and Pierre Olivier Joseph goes to Pittsburgh for Phil Kessel, Dane Burks, and a 2021 fourth. Um, so essentially, it's basically Alex Galchenyuk and Pierre Oliver Joseph for Phil Kessel. This isn't a bad return for Kessel, to be honest. Uh, Galchenyuk, I mean, this is going to be Galchenyuk's third team in two years, but um. This is uh, or t- third team in three years, excuse me. But uh, this is um, and and Pierre Oliver Joseph was a uh, was a first round pick, I think, a couple of years ago. So uh, he still has some upside there. Defensemen take a while to develop anyway. So um, they could be like, and that's something that's like you know that's what Pittsburgh needed is a like a decent winger um, who could be something. And then they really need help on defense, um, and they don't have a ton of prospects on, in that in that regard as well. So uh, they stack up there. But yeah, Phil Kessel is going to Arizona. He's apparently this was his eight-team no-trade list was pretty much every team that's in the Atlantic, I mean in the Metro Division, and the Arizona Coyotes. Um, apparently he's, he's going to be reunited with Rick Tockett, who he was buddies with and got a lot. Yeah. I think he's like the only coach that, um, has gotten along with Phil Kessel. Um, so that's, uh, that should be interesting there. Um, but yeah, he's going to Arizona, um, and Galchenyuk, uh, gets, uh, I mean, he kind of had a disappointing season in Arizona, but, um, he, this is going to be his last shot to see what he's truly made of. If he can't make it in Pittsburgh with Crosby and uh, Malkin on your line, then um, 
then then like I don't know what to tell you. So uh, so I I kind of this is another trade where I like both sides of this. Kessel um, will probably have a dip in points, but uh, again he's one of the most consistent guys in the league. Um, so and he'll like he'll definitely help the scoring in Arizona for sure. Um, apparently there were also reports that like Kessel and Mike Sullivan didn't get along um, to the point where uh, Mike Sullivan wanted uh, Kessel on the third line but then Kessel like didn't want to do that um, so like he I guess he overruled Mike Sullivan or something and uh, apparently um, this is all media reports I, I, I'm sorry hold up someone wanted to put Phil Kessel on the fourth line third line but yeah I mean it's still pretty bad but yeah um, and uh, so I don't know so the, the reason why you're even skeptical is why I'm also skeptical um, also because like like I don't think like a player can really like deny a coach's request really um, so it's just like uh, so and it's also like given Phil Kessel's reputation it seems like this is another kind of like hot dog situation where like all the stories come out of how truly terrible Phil Kessel was but um so I don't know how much you actually believe in that but um anyways uh Mike Sullivan and Kessel didn't get along apparently um but but then like that was also in the contract where Sullivan uh didn't want to sign until Phil Kessel was traded um and he I think he's signed for four more years in Pittsburgh but uh, yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's it's a weird situation because I feel like Phil Kessel doesn't is kind of lazy on the defensive side of things, but at the same time he makes up for it so much on um, on the goal scoring and the shooting, and uh, he he like provides so much offensive wise that he makes up for it um, for all his defensive relapses and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think this is another trade that could be good for both sides. Um, I feel like Arizona might be a Stanley uh, playoff team now with this move. That's my hot take. Yeah, yeah that you know, you know what Th this trade is very very intriguing because it's important to remember who the Arizona Coyotes are, and it's important to remember just exactly how insane Phil Kessel has been over the past four years in Pittsburgh. So if you take a look at his first year, Phil Kessel had 26 goals and 59 points with 274 shots and 17 power play points. Pretty respectable. In the playoffs, he joins forces with Carl Hagland and Nick Benino to form the now defunct HBK line, the Pens win the cup, Phil's first title. Next year, 23 goals, 70 points, 229 shots on goal, 30 power play points, despite a small shrinkage in his average ice time per game. Second straight year, gets at least 20 playoff points with the Penguins, earns his second straight Stanley Cup ring. When Malkin and Getzel, mostly Malkin, became regulars on Phil's line in year three, that's when he entered another dimension. In year three with Pittsburgh, Kessel got 34 goals, 92 points, 261 shots, 12 power play goals, and a whopping 42 points on the power play. His ice time spiked up again. Year four, 
ended up being his final one with Crosby and company, but still worth writing home about because he got 27 goals, 82 points, 215 shots on goal, 12 power play goals, and 36 power play points, which put him fourth in the, in the league among sports. He did that despite his average time on ice going down again. Arizona has some underrated talent there. They have a rising star in Clayton Keller, as you may know. They have a dark horse in Connor Garland. Kessel averaged well over 270 shots per year during his time with the Leafs when he was the guy there. I don't think, considering that Kessel is in his 30s, that we're going to see him shoot the puck at that rate, um, given that he's going to be 32 years old in October. I think a reasonable expectation for Phil Kessel, with three years and an $8 million cap hit, is 25 to 30 goals, 60-plus points, 230-plus shots on goal, 20-plus power play points. He's going to be the guy. He's still a star in this league, no doubt about it. I do not expect him to replicate his numbers from either of the past two seasons because the numbers he put up are absolutely absurd. What Phil Kessel does bring is intrigue and excitement to the team and the players. Rick Tockett says the young guys on the Arizona Coyotes are very excited to play on the same team as Phil Kessel. A franchise that's had so much uncertainty surrounding it just acquired a player with superstar notoriety, something that hasn't been there since Jeremy Roenick when he was a Coyote his first time around. This Phil Kessel trade is a big boost to the Arizona Coyotes because he is wanted there and he is 100% needed there. So now that Phil's gone, you have Alex Galchenyuk entering the fold in Pittsburgh. And he's an interesting case in a different way. He's a guy that can average 45 to 55 points every year, maybe 200 shots on goal, 15 to 25 power play points. Last year, he played with guys like Clayton Keller, Lawson Krause, and Mikhail Grabner in quarter one. Nick Schmaltz joins the fun until he gets hurt. And then Galchenyuk gets a steady diet of Nick Cousins. Not once in Alex Galchenyuk's career, keep in mind, he's a former top three pick by the Montreal Canadiens. Not once in his career has he averaged 17 minutes or more per game in a single NHL season. In his final year with Montreal, he started with Druen, Lekkonen, and Deneau, played with Andrew Shaw a lot in quarter two before he was constantly matched up with different people in quarters three and four. This time, there's no messing around with Alex Galchenyuk. He is either going to be, like you said, on a line with Sidney Crosby or on a line with Evgeny Malkin. He needs to have his best season by a country mile, and if it doesn't happen this year, I'm sure a lot of people wonder if it will ever happen for him. In the case of Pierre-Olivier Joseph, he's uh, said to be a defenseman with big hockey IQ, a fair bit of upside, um, did pretty decent with Charlottetown and Drummondville at the Quebec Major Junior level. With Mata out of the fold, maybe he can be their young defenseman of the future. Um, but if Pittsburgh wants to do any more tweaking to their roster, they just traded away the piece that could give them the biggest return. So. The scary part for Jim Rutherford is he's running out of options to shake up this team. So yeah. this better work. Yeah, for sure. Um, I Yeah, no, I like the, this Arizona team. I feel it's like kind of crazy considering that they lost Schmaltz for half the year, Ranta for more than half the year. Um, so like their, their top center 
um, and they're, you know, they're starting goaltender, and they almost made the playoffs. So that's why, mm-hmm. so when you add, like, Kessel into the mix, uh, Keller and Garland are only going to get better. You have uh, Christian Dvorak, who's also injured for uh, a long period of time. Um, Jacob Trickman is also only going to get better as well. So it's like, uh, when you add all those together, it's like, oh, like, Arizona's, like, building a team here, um, and they, they, they could be a they could be a playoff team uh, this year. Um, I could see that. Although I feel like I say that every year, so I don't know. Um, the uh, so the the only uh, news that happened while we uh, were recording, um, and I guess we'll we'll have more details uh, next week uh, next episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Furlan is going to the Vancouver Canucks. Ah. Uh. Um, and uh, it's four years uh, with a uh, 3.5 million annual average value. So that's not terrible. Uh, the only thing that, that, is, that's pretty decent, actually. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good, actually. Um, kind of makes up for that JT Miller tra- trade that they had a couple of weeks ago. But um, the only thing here is is that they still have uh, Nikolai Goldobin and Brock Besser left to sign. And uh, they have five million left in cap space, so um, I guess a trade is imminent. Um, something's going to happen with the Canucks, where they're they're going to have to make moves, especially to sign Brock Besser. Um, he's he's going to demand more than five million, and they don't have that. Uh, they don't have that much. Um, so yeah, well, the, the, the answer for that is simple: trade Louis Erickson, who doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, but it's you know yeah I guess that's true too but like it's it's kind of like just have to find a way to trade him that's right right but it's it's kind of like the David Backus situation it's like who's gonna want David back you know who's gonna want Louis Erickson um, and they don't even have their first this uh, next year so they don't even have that leverage either um, or something to like for a bonus so it, it, they're they're in some issues now cap wise but I do like that deal um, otherwise. Uh, Berlin for it could be a, a good depth signing for Vancouver um, and something like that. So, yeah. Well, both Erickson and uh, Bacchus were 2016 signings, right? Yeah, they were. I remember that too because I was remembering thinking like, oh, we should have like signed Louis Erickson instead of David Bacchus. But it turns out both were bad contracts. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. 2016 is a very bad rap sheet. For yeah, I'd contract. have to look back at that. I feel like uh, <laughs> there weren't a lot of great free agents that came out that year. I think I, what, Lucic, another one? Um, I thought he was the year before that, but you might be right. He's around that time. Um, <laughs> Bruins send segment, finally. Um, <laughs> it took us a couple hours. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's all right, whatever. Um, I mean, you'll have two weeks to listen to all this. So. <laughs> um, the, uh, I don't know, who should go first? Um, let's go with your sends, because I realized we, we didn't really talk about the Zaitsev trade. But um, we can talk about that now. All right. Well, there's a there's a lot going on there. So uh, in case you missed it, um, yeah, let's let's get right to it. On July 1st, in the early hours of July 1st, the Sens acquired Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Carsone, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they give up Cody Cece, Ben Harper, Aaron Luchuk. And a 2023 round pick that they got from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, 
couple interesting things on Zaitsev. He's the first Russian defenseman, to my knowledge, to play in Ottawa since the legend Anton Volchenkov. Oh, those were the glory days for Ottawa. And uh, the first Russian in general, I believe, to play for the Sens since Nikita Filatov, which was another failed Russian experiment. Uh, Zaitsev is a rookie. He had 36 points. Um, in each of his past three NHL years, he has at least 110 hits and 130 block shots. Um, so he, he does a little bit of everything. He has a $4.5 million cap hit for the next five years and actually waived his no trade to come here, which is weird because very few people, I assume, want to come to Ottawa these days. Yeah. Um, I guess he thought there would be more ice time, maybe. Yeah. He also... Um, knows DJ Smith, the Sens' newest head coach, pretty well. Um, Smith ran the defense in oh, Toronto. That might be uh, why, and, uh, he, he knows Zaitsev rather well. He says Nikita Zaitsev is going to instill tough hockey, going to play on different pairs, but right now he's our number one shutdown defenseman on the right side. Uh, and So that might him, be why he um, he decided to waive his no-trade clause because of, yeah, of, of DJ Smith. And yeah. uh, him and Ron Hainsey also logged the most penalty kill minutes amongst Maple Leaf skaters, and the penalty kill will be a consistent theme in this bit. Um, taking a look at where the Sens stack up on defense, on the left side they have Brandstrom, they have Englund, Lajoie, Borvietsky, Wolanin, and of course Thomas Shabbat. All of them shoot left. On the right side, uh, their top three guys on the right side last year were Cody Cece, Dylan DeMello, and Christian Yaro. So not exactly great. Uh, and when they brought back Golubev and signed Nick Ebert, um, both right shots, I'm thinking, how much longer does Cody Cece have? Because if you look at Ottawa's goals against average, it was the worst in the league. They were constantly hemmed in their own zone. A guy like Nikita Zaitsev, according to DJ Smith, is a guy that's going to make it tougher for other people to go to the net. And that's the kind of grit that the Sens need. Um, when it comes to Cody Cece, his time as an NHLer hasn't been easy. Never once did he hit 30 points in a season. He did have 100-plus hits and 100-plus block shots uh, for a relative amount of time. He had he has 100-plus hits in three straight years, 100-plus blocks in five straight. So he can do a, a few of the other things relatively well. Um, the thing with Cody Cece is... He got $4.3 million in arbitration last year, headed for arbitration again this past July if he didn't sign with Toronto, which ended up being two hundred grand higher than what he got in arbitration last year. In 2019-2020, which is next July, he can hit the UFA market. His price tag is probably going to go up each passing year. In 74 games last year, he scored 26 points. He has 13 career power play points. Thomas Shabbat had 16 last year alone in his second year. And he has more power play points already than Cody Cece does his entire career. Um, the last thing I want as a Sens fan is a worse Nikita Zaitsev style contract than Nikita Zaitsev. And my fear is the longer the Sens held on to Cody Cece, they were going down that inevitable road. Yep. The dude's defensive zone turnover rate last year was 16.4% per game, 143rd amongst NHL defenders. That's yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so much yikes 
it, it's just unfortunate because Cody Cece going in to life as an NHLer, he was a great OHL player. He had back-to-back seasons with at least 60 points to close out his OHL career. Um, I think where the Sens broke Cody Cece was his development after that, especially in the NHL in in the American Hockey League. He had two points in three games in 2012-2013 with the Binghamton Senators, 19 points in 27 games in 2013-14 with the Binghamton Senators, and he never went back down to the AHL level. And that brings back memories of Jaron Cowan, who was a former top 10 pick. He had three regular season games and 10 playoff games in the AHL, and he never played a second of AHL hockey after that. I think the Sens rushed Cody Ceci into the fold too soon, just like they did with Jared Cowan, and that's partly why the Cody Ceci experiment failed. He was never going to thrive in Ottawa, and I think ultimately in the long run, a change of scenery was inevitable. Uh, when you look at the assets that Ottawa got back in this deal, take a look at this. Connor Brown as an OHL player, 25 goals, 53 points in 68 games, 28 goals, 69 points in 63 games when he was the captain, 45 goals and 128 points in 68 games, captain again for the Erie Otters before Connor McDavid played for them. Connor Brown is like Nazem Kadri was in the trade to Colorado. A guy that wasn't really going to excel with Toronto because they just had so much talent and there wasn't enough space for him. This is a guy that can average between 30 to 35 points a season. He got 20 goals a couple of years ago with Toronto. His ice time has gone down by three minutes since then and has almost three minutes since then in the span of two seasons. And you look at his time on the special teams, only Zach Hyman logged more time on the penalty kill amongst Lee Fords than Connor Brown did last year. So again, Ottawa's looking for help on the penalty kill and they get that in Nikita Zaitsev, they get that in Connor Brown and they also get that um, in a couple of other additions that I'll mention later. But overall, I think, yeah, the Sens were helping out the Leafs mostly in this trade, but I think I would like to thank the Toronto Maple Leafs for taking Cody Cece off of Ottawa's hands and risk him further damage. I think it would have only gotten worse with Cody Cece in the fold. They rushed him too soon. He was a top defender last year but he was thrown into the fire unexpectedly and he just wasn't insulated properly he didn't have the support that he needed to succeed with the Ottawa Senators and um I I think it was a trade that worked out well for both sides and I wish Cody Cece nothing but the best um it just didn't work out for him in Ottawa 
Yeah, I will say that it, it does seem like a little bit of a like a lateral move just because it's like Sidesev and CC are kind of like a similar type of player, I guess, but they're like um but like or just in terms of the contract situation, so, but uh it's just that Sidesev is on longer term. Um, yeah, the, the, the concern also. for Zaitsev in Toronto was the term. The concern for CC in Ottawa was the cap hit going right. up. Yeah. Um, and, like, you get $4.5 of Zaitsev for five years, but at least you know it's not going up. With Cody CC, you like you don't know what his cap is going to be in 12 months. Right, because he was an RFA at the time. But, yeah, so yeah. that's the – yeah, that I guess that's true. That's the issue there. Um, but yeah, you're right. Connor Brown could be good for them too. It's just, it is funny though that like you mentioned, uh, Hainsey as well. It's just funny that Melnick said that like, you know, uh, <laughs> like early on this season or early on this year, that like, uh, you know, the, the, the Maple Leafs didn't properly rebuild their defense and then he's helping them out with their cap space here and gets like Zaitsev and Hainsey who are who were like the biggest like people uh defensemen that Toronto the biggest expendable defenseman on the least roster. and also and not only that you also hire the Toronto defensive head coach um as your head coach so it's the yeah. <laughs> the guy responsible for all that is is your head coach so it's it is funny that it's like he clearly uh, does respect Toronto in a way, but it was just funny in that in that regard. Um, yeah, it's funny how the Dion Phaneuf trade opened the door for the Sens and Leafs to do yeah. business. Like when the Dion Phaneuf trade happened, they're just like, "Wait, a significant trade between Ottawa and yeah. Toronto? What the heck is going on here?" And not and, o- yeah, and then not only yeah, that, it doesn't look as weird anymore. And not only that, but you got the Sens get Tyler Ennis. I'm I, I'm spoiling it here. Tyler Ennis, Hainsey, and then um and then Jason Smeza is going to the Leafs. I mean I know he was in Dallas for a time, but like it's just like a strange thing to have, like Spezza, who was the face of the franchise for a point, is now going to the Leafs. So it's like almost like you know it used to be a rivalry, but now it's like uh, they're kind of like uh, they're almost the same team now. <laughs> Yeah, um, I saw Ottawa Maple Leafs trending uh, when the CC trade broke, and it's easy to see why. They yeah. they got a lot of Leafs rejects, we'll call them. Yep. Leafs rejects because they're in cap hell. Um, while we're on the subject of Hainsey and Ennis, might as well talk about those real quick. Uh, Ron Hainsey gets a one-year $3.5 million deal, and you're on any team, you're wondering why pay that much for Ron Hainsey and why give him a 10-team no trade. Because the Sens have money galore, they can spend it on whatever the heck they want. And and he also had other offers, so he didn't have to come to Ottawa, but he chose to. Um, he also helps out the penalty kill. He logged over 300 penalty killing minutes in 2017-18, almost hit 230 this past NHL season. At 38 years old, he still provides a decent amount of veteran stability, especially on the left side where you have youngsters like Shabbat and Brandstrom getting their feet wet. And he's posted at least 100 block shots in 11 straight years, including a career high 169 in 2017-18 with the Leafs. So um, I like what he brings there. I love what Tyler Ennis brings too. Yeah. Um, his deal much cheaper than Hainsey. One year worth 800 grand. Uh, once upon a time when he was then 
one of Buffalo's biggest prospects. He had 20 plus goals and 40 plus points three times with the Sabres. Um, like Tyler Ennis is for a while been a bottom six guy that obviously hasn't even come close to those kind of stats. But Steve Dangle and a lot of Maple Leafs fans on Twitter throughout the season loved what this kid provided when he was in the lineup. And when he was in the lineup, we're just saying, oh, that guy's in. What about Tyler Ennis? Why isn't he in the lineup? Tyler Ennis is great. And he only played 51 games last year. But again, true to my previous point, he posted 12 goals and 18 points. Didn't even average 10 minutes per game last year on Toronto. And in previous years with Buffalo, he hit 200 shots on goalie. He had 210 shots on two occasions with the Sabres. So if Ottawa can get results with Brian Gibbons and Anthony Duclair in an increased role, put Tyler Ennis in there and, you know, maybe on a second or third line, maybe he starts off on the fourth line. But if you put him in a top six role, you never know what you could get out of uh, Tyler Ennis. So I'm interested uh, to see what he brings there. Uh, a yeah, other... I, I just wanted to say that, yeah, I like the Tyler Ennis uh, sign mostly for what you just said. It's just, it seems like it's like a good low-risk, high-reward type of thing mm-hmm. uh, for Yeah, it's, for it's, it's our version of Jason Spezza, only younger, and yep. doesn't have the beefy offensive resume that Spezza has. Um, ta- uh, taking a look at some of the other things they did, because they did do a few other things, and I'll quickly chime in on the Spezza stuff, too. Uh, Christian Malanen signs a two-year extension worth 900 grand per year, turns into a one-way in year two. Be careful and note that. You'll have to clear waivers in year two of that deal if he gets sent down. Um, he posted 12 points in 30 NHL games last year, went down to Belleville, posted 31 points in 40 games over there. Like it. Um, I think he's got a lot of upside. They also bring back uh, Cody Golubev for one more year at 800 grand, also a two-way deal probably staying in the AHL. Uh, Jordan Schwartz signs for one year with a price tag of 800 grand, also a two-way contract, probably playing in the AHL. And then you get to Nick Paul, who I think his NHL time is up when you look at all the players ahead of him on the depth chart. Once upon a time, this guy was the biggest prospect piece in the Jason Spezza trade to Dallas. And right. he's been just mostly up and down the NHL and the AHL, and he just hasn't put up the NHL stats. I believe his stat line is, oh, geez, four goals and eight points in 56 career <laughs> NHL games, like I told you. Um, but in the AHL last year with Belleville in 43 games, he had 16 goals and 39 points. When you look at a young team like Ottawa, that really needs to develop their prospects well. And it starts by developing them the right way through the minor league system. I think that's Nick Paul's role. His role is to help ease the transition of the next crop of players. And if you can keep him around on a two-way contract, 800 grand for one year, you know, why Why not? Why not uh, Why not keep him around in the mix? Actually, I said 800 grand at 750 grand, even still. It's, it's a very, very, very cheap price. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised, that being said, that Spezza went to the Leafs. Um, obviously doesn't have the upside that he once did, um, but he's hungry to win the Stanley Cup. He's joining a Maple Leafs team that has a very good chance of doing that. 
Uh, all kidding aside, they have a good team. This is his best shot to win the Cup since 2007 when he was in the prime of his career with the Sens. He could always sign for bigger dollar figures next July in a market like Ottawa after the Leafs' salary cap crunch rears its ugly head again. But this chance to win doesn't come around very often, and I'm very glad that Jason Spezza took this deal, and I hope he wins a Cup. It's an ideal fit for him. Yeah. Uh, that that could be a it's better than the reported rumors la, la a couple of week, months ago about him going to, back to Ottawa. Um, at least he has a chance at the cup now. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I, I and I think there's still a chance of that happening. I I think he has every right to see it through. Yeah. Um, I can't guarantee that this opportunity would be waiting for him in 12 months' time. So he was. He was very wise to take it. Um, I think he would have been a great uh, source of leadership to the young guys, you know, with all the pressure on their shoulders. Like he had all the pressure on his shoulders when he entered the league with Ottawa. Yep. Um, a part of that Yashin trade with the Islanders. So I, I think he would have offered a lot of leadership in that sense. But you know, he can he can always retire in Ottawa Senator, play a couple of years in Ottawa if he really wanted to. He's made more than enough money as an NHLer where money isn't an issue now. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I, I, I just hope Jason Spezza wins a cup. It'd be nice to see. Yeah. I guess this, this will give you a reason to root for the Leafs <laughs> this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not that, did I go I'm too not, far? Okay. I'll rephrase it. I'm not cheering for the Leafs to win a Stanley cup, but I, there would be a smile on my face to see Jason Spezza wasted. All right. But I'm not cheering for the Leafs to win the cup. Not <laughs> uh, did you t- did you say mention Christian Willian? I forget. I did. Uh, I mentioned a two-year deal, lots of upside. Yeah, um, you did say that. Pretty, okay. pretty cheap price. I like it. Got it. Uh, Bruins stuff. We're we're verging on three hours this time, so I'll try to keep it as short as possible. But um, Bruins, uh, they get, uh, I mean, so the big thing with the Bruins here is that we have, um, we're kind of in a cap crunch here because I say we as, like, I'm a part of the team, but uh, you guys know what I mean. Um, There's 8.1 million in cap space for the Bruins here, um, and, uh, you know, and we still have our, like, uh, McAvoy and uh, Brandon Carlo, who are going to be a big pieces of the Bruins' future in uh, on the defensive side of things. So, um, so they're they're not going to get eight uh, million. But first off, I will say the different signings that we did get the Bruins did get. Uh, first off, Brett Ritchie uh, gets the Kevin LeBanc treatment, uh, one year, one million. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get a. Uh, um, he didn't have 56 points, but uh, as a matter of fact, he only had six. Yeah, so just take away the uh, five. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a uh, it's a it's a little different than that, but um, but I do I do love a little thing about me is I love um when I st- first started following sports, so I was like four years old. Um, mm-hmm. I would follow any pl- athlete. Uh, with the first name Brett. Um, uh, so explains why you were such a big Brett Hull fan. Yeah, so that's why I was a Brett Hull fan. I was a big Brett Farr fan, and Brett oh, Hart was the other guy that I was, uh, I loved as well. Uh, so, Brett the Hitman Hart. Yeah, he's yeah. Canadian. 
He is Canadian, yes. And he's also, unfortunately though, he has a one T in his name. So I, I always, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a sticker. But anyways, uh, I don't expect too much out of this Brett, but I am glad that there's a Brett in the lineup. Um, I think the last time a Brett was even on the Bruins was Brett Connolly. Um, oh, so, yeah, that's right. But uh, Interesting thing about Brett Ritchie, when I look at it, Shari and Ritchie, uh, Ritchie had yeah. 126 hits in 53 games last year. Achari had 221 hits. So yeah. once they lost Achari to Florida, I, I kind of look at uh, Brett Ritchie's stats and I'm thinking maybe they're trying to fill in the void that Achari left behind by getting Brett Ritchie in the mix. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, wasn't, I... it wasn't for offense. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say that like he's not like he's not a uh, um like uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even know what the word is like I don't expect too much out of him, uh, but I do. Uh, you're right, he is a big time hitter, so he's going to uh, he'll help out in that regard. But I I could see him just being on the fourth line, um, maybe on the third line if there's injuries, but um, something like that that could be an interesting move that way. Um, I did. I did see Brett Ritchie's stats, and I think it said he got 16 goals one NHL season, but that was only one NHL season. Oh, wow, I, I didn't even know that. So that's the interesting. Other guys of note: uh, Brandon Gaunch, who is on the Canucks. Um, he's mm-hmm. kind of like a similar player to Brett Ritchie, um, in just in terms of like where he'll likely be deployed if he's ever on the roster. Um, Har Lindholm um, is also got signed to the Bruins. I like that deal too. It seemed, I feel like he didn't get a ton of time in Winnipeg, so um, maybe he'll he'll be decent here. It's it's not like a terrible contract. It's like eighty five k, so that's that's not even that's not even a thousand. That's not even a million. So that's I'm I'm fine with that deal. Um, but the bigger uh, the bigger stuff is, is we lose Achari, as you mentioned, and then we lose Marcus Johansson um, as well. Um, I mean, Marcus Johansson, I kind of expected, and um, Achari as well, but I think it's just like when you look at all these, like all the, the cap the friendly page, you like, you see, like, okay, you get steals with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn. And then you see that, like, okay, Krejci is making a little bit too much, but at the same time, it's like, um, you know, he's a vital part of the team. He's a big part of the core. Um, and then you see, like, you're like, okay, who else should we move that we can afford to move? And that's David Backus. Um, so David Backus should probably be on the trade, uh, should be traded pretty soon. Um, but that's gonna be uh, tough to see uh, to see just because he's 35 years old, he's not good anymore, um, and all that stuff. So uh, I'll, actually, I should get into that. Uh, Connor Clifton's also re-signed, and then uh, we also get Max Legacy, um, Maxine Legacy, which is an awesome name. Um, but that's a goalie from Vegas. So that's that's pretty cool too. But uh, so those are the other signings, and then we also signed uh, Dan and Heinen, uh, two years, um, two point eight million annual average value, um, and it says here that there's eight point one million left in cap space. I think so. 
Um, so there's something brewing. I think the Bruins have to make some moves. Um, hopefully it's moving David Backus, but I have a feeling that we're going to have to, it's going to be like a Patrick Marlowe type situation where we're going to pack a first round pick, um, with him for a team to take it, take his contract on. But at the same time, it's like, um, you know, I think Sweeney is kind of scared of moving first round picks because of that Rick Nash thing. So, um, but on, from a Bruins fans' perspective, it's like, uh, fine, take away our first round pick. It's not like it's gonna be anyone good at that point, you know? Because based off of the last couple of drafts, um, it seems like it's always like a guy that we've never heard of. So it's like, might as well get rid of this first round so we don't have this hindsight bias type situation. But um, anyways. Um, there, there's that. Another, a couple of other theories that um, a Bruins beat writer had, uh, Fluto Shinazawa, I forget how to pronounce his last name, but... Fluto Shinazawa? Shinazawa, yeah. Um, he was, he was, uh, he, he works, he writes for The Athletic. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, he was suggesting that Bacchus maybe gets demoted to the AHL, and that's a way that you can circumvent, um, him like circumvent the cap in a way so that like you have six million and so then you can maybe uh, have enough to sign McAvoy and Carlo. Um, other suggestions were uh, trading Kevin Miller and John Moore. Uh, the only two ish I don't have I'm not opposed to doing that either. But the only issue with that is is that first off they're making both are making like two point five or 2.7 so it's you're still making it pretty close cutting it pretty close if you do trade those guys um because that just adds like four million um or five million to your cap and that's not like you you can't really sign any more players uh as well um if you do that um but the the, the other flaw there with that is um if you look at the bruins they well, wait, I, there's another point. Coming up the system, which will probably expose Bacchus anyway, but on defense, what do you got on defense, you know, moving forward? I think yep. you probably are better off by keeping Kevin Miller and John Moore than ditching one of them just so David Bacchus's contract doesn't bite you in the ass. Well, I think the thing, the, re, the other reason, in it, which is what I was about to get to, is Kevin Miller is going to be UFA next year. Um, okay. and he's also, um, he also ha- went through a, like a year where he was injured. Like he had, he broke both his knees. I think it, like his obliques were, are also messed up. His hips are a mess. So he's not the same player that he once was. Um, yeah. so I, I'm not opposed to that. John Miller, all John Miller. John Moore has a similar situation where he he's battling injuries as well, um, so there's a risk in, involved in that as well. But yeah, you're right. In terms of like like looking ahead, um, in terms of uh, the uh, you know the expansion draft, you'll definitely keep Tory Krug if we you know I know he's a UFA next year as well, but uh, Tory Krug should be re-signed. Um, McAvoy will be kept. Um, maybe, and then it's either between Grizzlick and Brandon Carlo, 
um, uh, between one of those two as the three defensemen that you keep. But um, so I'm not necessarily worried about the expansion draft, but there is like, um, but maybe there is a way that you can trade Kevin Miller and John Moore and get, um, and it wouldn't like you wouldn't have to trade a first um, uh, like you would if you were to trade David Backus. Um, so that's that's where the 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 advantage of it would come um, in trading one of those two guys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's about it for us. Um, yeah, if you stayed all three hours, I applaud you. Um, I love you. Um, but uh, our uh, we'll be back in another two weeks. Hopefully, it's not as long, but we'll see. Uh, you never know. Um, uh, you can check us on, if you don't know by now, you're listening to on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Spotify. Our uh, Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our Twitter is Lace um, Up Podcast, uh, where you get your you know latest news. We usually update it pretty frequently. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Valsworth. We'll talk again in episode 180 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.